We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This is the Gator Nation Football Podcast with your hosts, Alan Williams and James DiVirgilio. This place is an insane asylum in the swamp! Oh my! Now we know we're just a bunch of average stiffs. Scared money don't make money, you know? What is up, Gator Nation? Welcome to the podcast. I'm Alan Williams. Of course, I'm here with James DiVirgilio. What a freaking win for the Gators. I'm so pumped to talk about this. That was such a wild game. But first, James, how you doing over there, buddy? I'm doing great. I mean, I'm doing super exceptionally well because we got a road win, Alan. Yeah. Finally, I saw a stat over the weekend I hadn't come across before where Billy Napier was 2-7 and seven at Louisiana on the road and then significantly turned it around. And we entered 1-7 and seven and are now 2-7. and seven. But we said... This was a pivotal game mm-hmm. and that we would take a win any way it came. We needed a win for all of the feelings yes. this would provide heading into the Georgia game. And I think almost all of us are probably feeling that right now. You get to ride this high for a while. You get a bye week to keep the high going. Uh, so, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm feeling great. I'm obviously feeling extra great, Alan, because the offense put some beautiful stuff out there on film that I am super excited about talking about. For sure. Uh, yeah, I think I said last week I'll take that win by hook or by crook. Anyway, you'll give it to me. Yes, a lot, a lot of things to talk about in this game. A lot of fun things, a lot of weird things. But before we get to all that, James, I think let's thank some patrons. Let's thank some patrons. And as always, if you like this content, follow us on social media. Sub to the podcast, of course. Sub to our YouTube film review channel. Become a patron on Patreon, where you too can drop us a dono and become a donor to support our efforts to bring you this type of content throughout the season and the year. And as always, shout out to our producer, B-Red, former track athlete at North Carolina, football player at UF, and Carly, the commissioner, all around great, uh, great woman of, of tremendous skill when it comes yes, to Yes, indeed. Yeah, right way to say that. GNFP Sammy, a GNFP Java Discord, open for business for you to be discussing the Gators throughout the week. And merch, always available 24-7 should you want to pick up some GNFP goodies. And a lot of you have. In fact, thank you so much for 
purchasing the merch. I can't wait to see more of it again out in the wild. But um, the vendor that we use, the online website we use to sell it, let me know that we are uh, we are like crushing it. Like wow. our fans are killing it. We're like in the top one percent of new of launches for merch, and that's not because of us. It's because of you guys. So thanks yeah, for checking out the, the gear. wife has a couple shirts. She's looking great in them. It's fun to see it out there. I love it. I love it. I, I got a chance to spend the weekend in Daytona, and uh, I saw I saw the Justin T out there on on display on, on the Justin on on the Justin himself. Okay, wow. Which was a big time. Yeah, he's he's rotating around. His wife is in med school, and so he's moving where they move. So he's kind of bouncing around places, but. Uh, Saw it in the flesh. It's so always go. good to see the Justin on the Justin. All right. New small donos. Adman for you coming in with an annual small dono. Thanks, Adman. Welcome to the fam. Large dono, the one, the only Thomas Nassif who comes in and, and basically does our meet and greets for us. What a yeah, great, great guy, long term supporter. The level up to a large dono. And then Cameron McCaskill, longtime listener and supporter as well, leveling up to above an XXL dono. Uh, thank you, Cameron. Appreciate that. And still sitting on the throne. A long run here now for, for Cooper sure. and Kylie Craig. And coming Let's off go. a nice big win, I'm sure that their their throne room in Kingdom is, is feeling pretty the good Craig right kids. Now. All right. A few more Dono legends here. You ready for it? All right. James Ridge, Barry Jenkins, Guy Tumbleson, Jason, Jason Walker, the big homie, Lil Payton, Constantine, Double O, Alexander Leventhal, Diego Rivera, Bill Hood, James Newton, Nathan Jeter, Stashmi, Bob Boucher, Frank Marcellisi, Mike Wechter, Tim Kane, Nicholas Isaac, Mike, Mark Jackson, Tim Hondrick, James Stewart, Gus O'Leary, Brad Wilson, Mark Mitchell, Chris Folsom, Dr. Matthew Galloway, Jamie Galliano, Aaron Jeter, Jason Landry, Michael Reeves, Jason Johnson, Zach Sparks, Mark Rubenstein, Tyler Rummer, Craig Scarado, Alan Horn, Sidney Singleton, Kristen Moody, David Sugar, Percy Ivan Baby, and Doug DiVirgilio. Okay, this was a wild game. Where does this rank on like wild games you've ever seen for the Gators? You know, oddly enough, it was like a really exciting game, and and obviously it was very fun. But I don't, I didn't, I didn't initially walk away thinking it was like zany in the word like wild, like a Florida LSU game. Sense. Yes, I was going to say when I think of wild, I think of that stuff, like shoes being thrown or. <laughs> Less miles going for it 500 times versus like something out of the really significantly mm-hmm. ordinary. This game featured a lot of like ordinary football, just meaning good football plays, bad football plays, but football back and forth in a very exciting, compelling game. And two teams that combined to score almost twice what people thought they were going to score. So that made it wild and zany. So I guess all that to say, I don't know that I'm ranking it as a wild game, but as far as a Florida South Carolina game goes, I think you saw how how important it was to both programs, right? Shane Beamer mm-hmm. was locked in. He's always locked in, but that game meant a lot to him. He did not want to go 0-2 versus Billy, which he did. He did not want to lose at home and go 2-4. and Florida was a beatable team for them. Uh, this game was huge for Florida for all the reasons we listed. So I think the intensity of this game between uh, – a nationally irrelevant Florida team right now to the public, and then a obviously nationally irrelevant South Carolina team felt the stakes felt high in that game, and I think it's because they were. So in that regard, uh, you know, I think I think the game itself was extremely entertaining, and the fourth quarter obviously is one that I think Florida fans will remember for a long time, especially if Billy does eventually turn a corner and become a longtime coach here. It's possible that this pivotal moment, even if Florida struggles down the stretch. Could be the moment where some people became maybe believers that, hey, maybe he can get it done. Maybe he won't, but maybe he can. It's that kind of win. That's better said. Yes, if you replace the word wild with entertaining, that's probably a better uh, word for that. 
I thoroughly enjoyed this game. I'm going to tell you how I enjoyed it in just a minute. But yes, back and forth, fourth quarter comeback. And as you said, this is kind of the beauty of college football. The intensity that comes from this, both programs trying to lift themselves out of mediocrity here that you won't find, you know, in other in a pro sports league where the game could never mean as much as it did on this moment. And, you know, this was largely ignored in the midst of a lot of national storylines. I wish more people had eyeballs in this game because it was a really fun one. Okay, so let me tell you about my game experience. I was in Santa Barbara, California. I was officiating my cousin's wedding. So I saw almost none of the game, but here's where I picked it up. Florida, down three with the ball. Two minutes left. It's third and ten. Is where we were when I turned it on. What was your reaction upon seeing the score itself? I was floored. Right? That that many points have been scored. And so I get to watch us go down the field, score the touchdown, and then, you know, all the kind of shenanigans that happened after that with the safety and everything. But so it was a a longer experience than probably what it normally would have been. But then last night I, I finally got to watch the game. And here's why the game is kind of wild is if I hadn't known that we were going to win, I would not have believed it. There were so many moments where it felt like the game was going to slip away, especially in the second half. Big fourth down conversions. You know, being down 10 on the road in the fourth quarter, usually that's a destiny, especially for this version of Florida, you know, at least theoretically, to watch the team respond, hold on, pull that out. It was really emotional watching it and watching the team celebrate both the first time and the second time. But yes, going back through it, watching it, knowing the ending was kind of a surreal experience because I almost couldn't believe that was going to be the result, even though I knew that was the result. Yeah, that's that's well described. And what an interesting moment. I'm trying to imagine turning the TV on and seeing a score that was that high and then trying to mentally wonder how it got to a level <laughs> yes. that high. So it wasn't nothing all again all that it wasn't like turnover fueled or weird things just both teams scoring a right. lot but if you just turned it on then you'd probably think this is weird how, how did we score this many points exactly again even knowing south carolina's defense was bad and how did they score this many points knowing they can't run the football at all so interesting times i as you may have just caught a second ago was was in daytona and you know who else is in daytona it's oh, daytona steve, daytona steve. so I, I took an opportunity to essentially kill two birds with one stone I'm visiting Justin. He's got a cool place on the beach. You know, Justin is the voice of the pod, the opener that welcomes you into the show. And I thought, you know, we should see if we can find Daytona Steve. Where is Daytona you Steve? You tracked him down? We asked. We did. We did track him down. Of course, we went predictably to the track. Tracked him down at the and track. And thought we All might right. find him there. And find him we did. He's in a tough state. Obviously, uh, pretty much all of his confidence was gone. And this was a guy who was riding high when he started with the pod. And uh, there was a little bit of rehab that went on, a little pep talk that went on. The people need you. The people have asked about you during the week you weren't there. We have messages to prove it. We showed him the screenshots. Oh, wow. And we need you to, to come back. And of Brought course, him back from the abyss. Yeah, and the, and the issue of money came up. Like, hey, I don't, I don't really have any more funds. He's using real money to, to fund his own account. He goes broke. And obviously, things had not been going well at the track. Uh, in general, and his his SIG budget is high, oh, yeah. to say the least. But uh, I won't spoil the rest. Daytona Steve does make a return this week. Wow. He, he did find some funds. We'll talk about how. And he's back at it. And once again, Daytona Steve is a real person. It's it's not me. It's not Alan. 
Uh, it's not Justin. It's not a dog or pet that we have. It's a real human. It's a person that we know. He actually does exist. And of course, we we keep all you know, all privacy. And he does private. exist. Yes, he does right. exist. He's a real person. But either way, he's back. So my game experience is watching in a beach condo overlooking a gorgeous day, celebrating, high fiving, running around said condo with friends, uh, sort of in somewhat disbelief that that Florida had walked back a 10-point deficit and won this game on the road. So it was it felt awesome. I mean, you're beating a 2 and 3 team, but you didn't care. It was more of just Florida beating anybody on the right. road and doing so in a way in which Florida did it with the style we did it with the way we converted three fourth downs on those last two drives to do it. Uh just zany stuff happening, you know, tipped passes, etc. And then also really good play calls, really good play design and, and some nice play from Mertz. Made for a really satisfying victory, again, versus a team that obviously has major issues, but I don't care. Satisfying victory on the road in the SEC. Exactly. So you kind of tipped this a little bit, but it felt like a momentum-shifting moment. Again, we won't know that until a few years down the road, but that if Florida can start to put it together a little bit, it's a young team, and you know, learn how to win on the road, learn how to expand what they're doing offensively, Obviously, you want to see the defense play better. But, yeah, maybe there's something going on here. Could just be a blip, and we kind of go back to, you know, the status quo next in a couple weeks and the weeks after that, and maybe this doesn't work out. But, yeah, as you said, maybe you could look back at this and being a kind of a touchstone for this team in their journey forward. Okay, Florida wins 41-39. That is much higher than you and I are. I think really anybody thought it would go. I, I predicted a loss, a 24-20 loss. You predicted a 2017 loss. Florida very almost lost this game, uh, sitting at fourth and ten, down big time. Uh, so the keys to the game, uh, you wanted to see them uh, the offense rush for more than six yards per play. Yeah, that was nowhere that, close. That did not happen. I think we're at two point two. I believe is the number. And two point two. Well. I have a third. I have a forty percent completion rate on third down. Yeah, once that again, did not happen. Uh, four for fifteen on third down. Yeah, that's right. not forty percent. Then, uh, but much better on fourth down. Yeah, that was that was a key, obviously. And hold them to less than seventeen points. Well, uh, wait, wait, wait. Mention my oh, air yard. Sorry, here. This is a big moment in the yes. history. Oh, yeah, sorry, please, it wasn't. Please. It wasn't highlighted here, so I, I missed it. It's, yeah, it's not in red because it was wrong. <laughs> yes. Oh, you're right. So that's maybe how it's graded out. That's right. Okay. That's right. Air yards eighty. Yeah. A and lot we more had than eighty. Two hundred and sixteen. Compared, yeah. Give me what was the number we were working in with uh, last week? Two sixteen. We had twenty eight. But most importantly, twenty eight. We had four hundred and ninety one intended air yards. That's unreal. Let me put a little context behind this. Coming into this game, we averaged a robust ninety four air yards per game. <laughs> intended. No, right, no, no, completed, completed. But okay. this is the part that's way worse. We averaged a very robust, tongue in cheek, 153 intended air yards a game. So all we did was triple that number in this game. It's crazy. Yeah, that's pretty wild. So when I was asking for 80, it was like, look, 80s meager, which we said. But for us, that would be, you know, significant versus an opponent on the road, or we were scoring 12.5 points a game. Allen blew that out of that's the crazy. water. But uh, offensively, we didn't hit. This is important. We didn't do two things that we thought this offense required, which is run the ball well and convert third downs on the road. We didn't do either of those things, and we still had this kind of production. All right, mine were Trey to have more than seven yards per touch. He did. A very nice 10.3. Yeah, great key there. Had some big uh, catches and you know a decent run. 
and then hold Spencer Rattler under 50 yards rushing. I'm not sure if we, I guess we did that, but when you take sacks into account. Yeah, if you take the sacks you know, out, which only had two of them, uh, but he, he did a lot of damage. He did a lot of damage. Running the football. So they think this is technically true, but not actually true. He had seven for 46 was what he had. So if you take two sacks out, he definitely had, he had more than yeah. 50. But uh, either so, way. I guess that's part of the overall. You got to put the composite in there. It's in and there. It, that's you, you did it. You got there it. That's go. a great number by you, Vegas line. Okay. And my uh, defensive line was uh, a joke, less than seventeen, 17 points. points. How about thirty-nine? So, if you had told me that the Gators were going to be what they averaged per rush, and that we were going to do what we did on third down, will we win the game? I was like, no, we probably got just massively beaten up. Especially when you t- tell me how many yards that South Carolina gained on the ground. You just give me those statistics. Like, this is a huge loss. We lose by like 24. But that's not what happened. So let's talk about that. The offense, right? We talked about the worst stat by far here. 4 of 15 on third down. 3 of 4 on fourth down. 494 yards of offense. 71 yards rushing. 423 passing, it's 8.8 passing and only 2.2 yards per rush, which is, you know, those numbers are, are, you know, kind of reflective of how Florida has played in a lot of games. They've actually thrown the ball much better than they rushed it outside the Tennessee game, but that's just expanded by a ton. Uh, four sacks, eight tackles for loss they gave up. So Mertz, I mean, this is a great line. 30 of 48, three TDs, 62.5 completion rate, but we saw that his that passing yards be much higher, right? So he had this really high completion rate. This is actually probably a better, more of what you would like to see, not 85% completion for 29 intended air yards, right? So ETN, nine carries, 49 yards, one TD. Montrell, 11 for 50. So you can see like the discrepancy there between like what we'd probably hope to do running the ball versus what we did. Here's the better stuff. Ricky, hero day, 10 receptions, 166 yards, one TD. Arliss Boardingham, five for 55 for one TD, but some monumental plays. Those were five big-time catches. And then Trey looks great in this game, six for 83. Uh, really needed him in some big spots as well. Okay, let's get to talking about this. This is about a massive shift that I've seen from a Gator team in terms of one week to the next. What was the most significant difference? Well, one, we had a vertical passing game. And right on our on our game plan, I had said last week, well, you know, it, I would hope pie in the sky that we come out and do creative things and throw the ball down the field and, and be productive in the vertical passing game. But that's not realistic given what we've seen this year. So we asked the question, will the East-West low air yards passing game work? Which I, I can't I can't be more happy to report on the fact that obviously that was not the game plan we went with. We were like max aggression. They're in cover one man. We're running different stuff, in my opinion. I'm going to say this right now. One, everything Alan and I say on this show is our opinion. Mm-hmm. Two, we're not in the film room with the coaches. We don't know the play calls that the coaches are making. We have to look at it and speculate on our own. And three, other people will have different opinions. And that's just fine. Everyone's entitled to their own thought. As far as I'm concerned, Alan, what was most impressive and most excellent was the things that I had been harping on from the start of the Napier era, multiple of them were not on display in this game. The exact opposite was. We ran a plethora of rub routes. If they were going to be in a cover one man scenario, we were throwing. If they loaded the box up, we were generally throwing. We sent five 
routes out multiple times. We sent half. So basically back, five pass Five catchers. guys are running. Yeah, and we ran 12 personnel, 11. So two tight ends. We ran one tight end. We ran three receivers. We ran two receivers. But we were frequently sending four to five guys out on routes, which has not been something that often has happened under Billy. But more importantly, the, the route combinations that were occurring were very vertical. We've talked a lot in this pod in past years, especially when Mullen was here, about the importance of two-on-one-ing your conflict defender, making the defense wrong by sending two guys into his area and making him choose. Florida did more of that than I have seen Billy Napier put on film uh, in this era. And and to me, again, I've watched every game and looked at every single thing. If someone thinks otherwise, I'd love for them to put a review out that says, look, we've done these same concepts for the past year and a half. Here's all the plays that are exactly the same. I'd love to see it because I have not seen that. And I think all of those things in concert with good timing and then playing, let's not forget, Alan, playing a really bad defense. Right. South Carolina's overall success rate, they're 125th. They're horrible against the pass. They're horrible against the run. But the design, the style was different. Your eyes are not deceiving you. The stats back it up. The film backs it up. What we did was fundamentally different in how we attacked this team. And it's something we thought this team could be successful with, Alan, in general, and boy, was it successful, even if we missed a lot of opportunities. A ton more could have been out there for this team, but we didn't utilize an east-west passing game. We utilized the north-south passing game. We frequently attacked them for big, aggressive attempts, and we did it again back-to-back, first and 10 and second and 10, something that we have not seen Billy do last year or this year. Oftentimes, first and doesn't work, handoff, second and 10. No, we were still throwing on second and 10. We were seeking what I like to call max EV, And I would like to think that's a significant reason why we won this football game. The foot stayed on the gas pedal. We did not attempt to do two downers or three downers or or, or stay on schedule. We were like, look, if they're going to keep playing us this way and their defense is not very good, their safeties, as we said, are torchable. We're just going to keep attacking them. And Florida worked a variety of matchups to their benefit. Ricky was frequently getting matched up with guys he could beat one-on-one. They were double moving. We were getting time. It was a thing of beauty. That's what I want to report. Takeaway for me. This was the best game I've seen Napier and staff put on film. And we can only hope that this is just the beginning of things that continue. The offense grows in this kind of identity where we can attack more vertically beyond just a play action to receiver set. Uh, and, and all in all, again, I mean, really, I think if you're South Carolina's coaching staff, you have to be dumbfounded that Florida had this kind of game plan this season. Nothing would have suggested we were going to try this many vertical passes. We've talked about it each and every game. No way. Would you have expected that to be the case? Yes. The aggressiveness was significant as well. So I, as you said, well, let me actually, let me talk about what you said first. I love this. It was pleasing to watch, right? There were guys open. Things made sense. Uh, Mertz did an excellent job of finding the open guy and hitting, hitting South Carolina where he, you know, it hurt them. He often... You know, there's one play, uh, I guess the long pass to Cleo Jackson down the sideline where he makes an excellent grab. There were guys actually open on three levels in that play, and that's probably, you know, attuned to South Carolina's deficiencies there. But he takes the biggest shot on that play. And I think that also shows how aggressive they were. When they had single coverage on the wide side, whether it was Burke or Cleo Jackson or Ricky, they went for it. They didn't hit a lot of those. But they were pressing the gas on that. And generated several pass interference yes. calls because of it, which yes. is one of the main reasons why you want to frequently attack those routes like that is you often get free yards on incomplete passes. Right, and there's one that they didn't call where Ricky was definitely held. So Absolutely right. Uh, I loved that. And yes, I think... So let me ask if you could 
I'll give you three factors here about the success pushing the ball down the field. What was maybe rank them in terms of what the cause was. So the mentality, right? We're just going to be more aggressive. When you have the one-on-one outside, just do it. Mertz's ability to find the right guys and be accurate or the scheme producing guys that were more open. I'm going to go scheme number one because it's the first time in the Napier era that we have seen this many people open. Not just one guy. Every receiver or tight end at some point in time was wide open. And that was very Dan Mm Mullen-esque. We've asked for this. You have to make the game easier for your football team on offense. Check and check. They did it. So one scheme, two mentality. I think that led into the team not worrying if they missed their shot play. There was another one coming right after it. It wasn't like, oh, man, there it goes. I have five shot plays this entire game. I just missed one. We're not going to score, right? We're going to go back, run, run, punt. So the mentality, I think, allowed the players to play more free. Hey, no worries. You missed a big deep ball. Let's go Let's go again. Let's run it back. Let's go again. Uh, and then lastly was, was Mertz. And, and that's not to say he's last, uh, but we've talked about give Mertz a shot. We said this, right, yes. most recently as the past two games. Let's let him prove that maybe he can't do it. And, and we felt like he was a capable pilot. He could do it in these scenarios, of course. But let's let him take more than one or two shots a game. Let him take seven, eight, nine, ten. And that's what happened in this game. He probably missed half on his own accord, not balls that were great. He probably had three or four that were denied him an opportunity because of the offensive line where he has an even easier throw that probably get completed. Uh, and that, that's great. But he completed plays when it mattered. He hit enough of them to move the ball. Obviously, I think he played probably his best game as a collegiate player, even though, again, he's not playing a premier opponent. And we'll talk about his fourth quarter performance as to why I think that's true based on his history of not being able typically to make that happen. But scheme, number one, mentality, number two, Mertz, number three. And Mertz did a wonderful job doing what he's done all season, which is just keeping the offense running what Billy wants him to run. If it's been conservative, he runs it. If it's been aggressive, he ran it. And that's that's a testament to his ability to be a veteran, that he can, he can flex and run what you want him to run. That's an important quarterback skill. And again, he did so while still having more opportunities in the field. And I think if you can give a guy like Mertz, a veteran quarterback, more and more chances to see things, his hit rate should go up as the season goes on. And that's why I think there's a hope that, hey, let's keep giving him opportunities to see what he can do. And maybe he gets more comfortable knowing, okay, I can hit this or I can try to hit that uh, in general. So I think that scheme, though, to me, was number one. Again, it's my opinion. I'm sure you're going to hear others say, look, it's all the same. Nothing's different. We just hit on South Carolina uh, I would challenge them to put out some material that suggests that's actually the case because at a very simple level, Alan, a play we've called for for two years now, uh, multiple times in the film review and on this podcast, just the most basic of all plays, Peyton Manning's favorite man beater, which is your outside guy runs a slant, your slot receiver runs a wheel, was on display three times in this game. Florida shot at it twice. And one was a Ricky hold. The other one was not executed well by Trey, but they went like we haven't even seen that before, ever. And it was run twice. And there were also multiple other man route runs, vertical routes, not horizontal routes, vertical routes. So if that was on display before and I was asleep at the wheel, I apologize. But to me, that's a different mentality this team took in this game. And I think they need to keep that mentality going because our opponents are only going to get harder. And we're not going to be able to win these games, you know, 17-14. I would agree. I think this is not to discredit Mertz at all. It's actually putting him third in that list shows that he's been capable of this the whole time, right? That if you design this offense in this facet, you know, fashion, he's going to be successful more often than not. At least that's what he's shown in a Florida uniform, right? So again, we don't know what's going to happen in these next couple games. He could throw like seven picks, but he's does a good job of getting, yeah, Florida into the right play, executing that play. And he's really accurate for the most part. He had some big time throws in this game. 
emblematic of this is the last touchdown. This is a great route by Ricky, and it's a great ball from Mertz, and it's aggressive. That ball is way down the field. We could have been settling in for a field goal there. You know, we're only down three. We got Trace back. They went for the jugular, and they got it, and I freaking loved it. I, like, screamed out on the lawn of this courthouse building. Uh, it was awesome. So, yes, more aggressive pushing ball on the field, and – they did a great job of executing for the most part. Again, well, let's talk about that one play yeah. for a second. I'm not going to talk about other ones because we we do the film review now, so there's you know tons of content. You can watch every play and see it. We used to do more on the pod. It's there visually. But that one play is Mertz's best play that I've seen on film. And let me tell you why. I'll walk you through it. On the left-hand side, you have Khalil Jackson running a slant and go, which we've been noting throughout the season. Florida's timing of the, of the pump fake on that has been like not good. It's been early. But... South Carolina pre-snap has their safety leaning more towards Khalil Jackson's side by maybe a yard or two. And Mertz opens up pump fakes early, which in this case is okay. That pump fake was not for the corner. It was for the safety. Safety slides over about four or five yards outside the window. Mertz then, as he's dropping back, as soon as his back foot hits the drop point, looks to the right, throws that backside seam post route on the money. If any of those things is not done in that sequence of timing, If he pump fakes late, gets back to his drop late, the safety can get there and the corner can close. If he waits, if he looks to wait and see what the backside picture looks like, he doesn't trust Ricky winning on that route, the window closes. But he does everything to the second perfectly with timing. Ricky runs a route, again, three or four weeks ago, we talked about Ricky dancing too much, no dancing, straight vertical, quick skinny post that gets separation. Ball's a dime, like you mentioned, Alan, crucial point to go for that there because Florida had just failed on first down at second down previous Billy might have been like let's run it take some more clock off 50 seconds or so but instead we go right for it right back at it trust your players but that play I loved breaking it down it's a great play call it's a great design double move from Ricky the quick little skinny post but all in all everything was perfect by Mertz and the O-line gave protection there so 11 working as one uh, and to your point I'm glad you mentioned that one because that was sensational quarterbacking Everything was done perfectly to get every little inch of ground he needed. Yes, versus a bad defense, but still, even versus a good defense, the sequence would be the same for Mertz, and he nailed that, and it was good to see that. So this was a really interesting game, not just schematically from Florida, but how they chose to attack um, running or passing. Now, again, we've had a we've had our struggles running the ball, but Florida largely went away from trying from the. Um, running game being the engine of the team throughout the season to now the passing game. All right. That's, that's been mostly East West. As we talked about, we've thrown more than we've run it a lot of times in terms of like our successful plays, but there were whole drives where Florida only threw the ball. Do you think that's more of a reflection of South Carolina's weakness in that area or us recognizing limitations in our run game? It's definitely not a reflection of South Carolina's weakness in that area because they're just as weak stopping the run. Like they're equally bad at both of them. So you could have picked which one you wanted to me. And again, there's others out there who seem to bristle at the notion of, of it's too reductive to say that football is a numbers game. I wholeheartedly disagree. It's, it's very much a numbers game uh, as a meta. Now, again, you can exploit that. Sometimes you can go against the numbers. But in general, you show me a coach who routinely goes against the numbers in the box, and I'll show you a coach who loses. And Florida had routinely been going against the numbers, not in this game. South Carolina did what any team should do with a weak defense, which is stop the run, load up and stop the run. Seven-man boxes, sometimes eight-man boxes, playing man. Team, things we've seen teams do before, and Florida was unwilling to attempt to punish them. 
and we absolutely just shredded them, shredded them, Alan. So I think that is a that is a reflection of us saying we are not going to play this game like we've played other games. If you want to do this to us and you want to load up and stop the run, then we are going to bludgeon you with vertical passing all throughout this game with all of our position players. We're going to scheme up some nice stuff in 12 personnel, 11 personnel. We're going to use running backs, tight ends, wide receivers, slot receivers. We're going to use pre-snap motion to get the matchup that we want. It was a masterclass of how you attack a bad defense that's overplaying the run. And then once we got them off balance, everything became easier. But when you're averaging more than 10 yards of play passing, as Florida was for a while until those last incompletions in the fourth quarter, high EV. Keep on rolling, right? And Florida did that. So I applaud them for, I think, taking what that defense was giving you, which was chunk yardage. If you blocked it up front, you knew you probably had chunk yards, and Florida kept going to it. Yeah, it was great. And obviously some limitations personnel-wise, plus uh, you know, n- not the offensive line that you would like, or at least the production from the offensive line that you would like. So I love that they're willing to just keep hammering it, right? Not to not to back off and go, hey, you know what? Let's don't get to our skis here, but kept pressing the accelerator. But let's just keep throwing the ball. It's really working. We're having success. And I love that we use the tight ends. I think this is, again, where a personnel upgrade at least in certain areas, can help you, right? So you're you're running these routes with Arliss and Hayden Hansen rather than Xanders and Odom. That's going to be much more dangerous. Arliss, we've talked about. I want to get to him in a minute. Really fun. Uh, and, you know, Hansen is a capable guy. He finds he's got himself open, and he can get upfield at least a little bit, right? And seems to be an okay blocker considering his inexperience at the position. But before we get to anything else, I have to just – gush about the creativity of how we use Trey in this game. All right, we threw to him. We we tossed the ball to him. We ran several trick plays, had him at quarterback. There's another trick play where Mertz gets a um, intentional grounding call, but if he has just half beat more here, he just throws it. Trey's wide open. Maybe that's like a touchdown because he's in the open field by himself. So re- a lot of creativity. I think this is where the staff is really exploring, like, how are we creative in getting our best guys the ball? You know, Trey's kind of an unconventional piece considering his size and his speed and, you know, the fact that he's still very young. But they're maximizing ways to get him the ball with a lot of creativity. And I have to say that's been really fun to watch when he's been healthy. Oh, spectacular. You know, as a Miami Dolphins fan, every Sunday I get to watch Mike McDaniel cook up some just glorious stuff with Tyreek Hill. And this is what this looked like to a certain degree. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was a lot of similar stuff. In fact, there's a two-back set. Yes. They used where they had Montrell and Trey back there, and it's very much right out of the Dolphins playbook with Tyreek. Uh, loved it. Uh, I thought that's how you use him. And now, obviously, if you want to create a narrative for Florida's offense, and, and we've seen this, like the, it's very different. We've seen it on film. When Trey's in the game, teams have to key on him. He gets them moving east-west, which creates opportunities north-south, also creates opportunities on the backside. Uh, but to your point, Alan, let's applaud the staff significantly. Something we said about Billy when he came in was that he's not afraid to play freshman. He's not afraid to give him the football. Right. Right. This is a March difference from the previous era with Mullen. And that has been true. And the fact that they're featuring Trey as like they're kind of the queen on the chessboard. We're going to use this person everywhere and threaten you. We're going to constantly threaten you with this person is a testament to how you use a player like that. And also just, again, the amount of creativity innovation in this game was like on overload from oftentimes being very systematic last year with AR very systematic to the point where we asked the question, why aren't they more tactically trying to use these guys? 
it's amazing to see in this game the extreme creativity and tactical usage of Trey. And look, I'm here for it. Alan nor I have any idea if anything was different this past week. We don't know if Russ Callaway had any hand in doing anything. I have no idea. And to me, it doesn't actually matter. For all I care, I hope it's Billy Napier, right? I went on this podcast in week one after the Utah game and said, look, I don't think he's got enough to be an OC. That's because we hadn't seen this stuff. And it's all Billy, and he starts putting this stuff on the film. All reverse position. Let's go. Run it, right? What matters is production. And style with production equals long-term success. This was the right style. It was the right way to use your players. And this was really solid. Now, we'll see if this is a one-time thing or does this continue. Uh, but let's celebrate the heck out of it because, as you mentioned, Alan, the usage of Trey there was was beautiful. It's awesome. It's good football. It's good resource management. Uh, and it paid huge dividends for Florida. All right. I got to give Ricky some props here. We've talked about him being excellent over the last year and a half at times. You know, we're maybe vaguely like critical, like you said, just, hey, he needs to pick it up. But he was excellent in this game. Excellent probably doesn't cover it. Made some phenomenal plays. That fourth down conversion where he basically just kind of, him and Mertz just kind of make it happen on their own. He plays bigger in his size a lot of ways. And if you just think about taking him off this team, what would we be doing right now? We'd be screwed. I, I don't know that we'd be able to put together a functional wide receiver core without him. Again, he's probably best suited as your number three guy. We've put him in this spot, and he's done everything Flores asked him to do. He runs a ton of different routes. He's indispensable and you know came up really big this week. Yeah, this was a great game plan. This is how you use, by the way, a slot receiver like Ricky. It was it was great to see him not running as many of those orbit and jet motions and then staying as a check down. Like he's not that threatening as a check down ball receiver. Like he's just not. Trey's much more threatening oh, yeah. that way. But he is a very good vertical route runner, especially when you go up against the team's second or third best corner, which Florida was often getting him on versus a safety versus a nickel in the interior part of the field, where now because we're running five guys out into the pattern. He has more space. He can run a double move. That's what he's good at. And they leveraged his skills. And to your point, Alan, the guy's rock solid. If the ball's in the hands, he's catching it. Uh, I think he cleaned up some of the route stuff we talked about. He's just he's just much more crisp getting downfield. The timing seems to be right with Mertz now. And again, bad defense. I'm going to keep saying it. Bad defense, bad defense, bad defense. What Alan and I are saying is not this team's going to start scoring 40 points a game now. But again, this is good usage and obviously high praise for a guy who seems to really just have become a full-fledged Gator, you know, loves Florida, reps the brand, excellent leadership, talked about during the game, looking over at the South Carolina fans, Gator chomping in the fourth quarter and really telling the players, like, take that personally. Uh, and that's what you want, right? So I think in general, you can't heap enough praise on the guy. He's been out there. He's durable, uh, making plays from start to finish. He blocks extremely well, especially for a guy his size. He never quits blocking, never quits on the play. Uh, just really a consummate teammate right now. And, and again, you can't say enough good things about his performance. And obviously, when we critiqued him a few weeks ago, it's not. It's never a knock on these guys. It's like, hey, I think you can do more. Be more, right? And regardless, he, he's been excellent in the past few games. Okay. I'm really interested in this. Is this a repeatable performance? Now, this, I think, I asked this question to contextualize. This is, again, a South Carolina defense. We're going to see some good defenses and bad defenses down the stretch here. You know, LSU has been pretty bad. At times this year, uh, other teams, maybe the one we're going to see in a couple weeks, has been excellent for the most part. So not that Florida's going to have necessarily the overall success in raw yardage numbers, but can they play in this style again? Is this a repeatable form- performance? Yeah, so I think I think that 
if you're looking at like reproducibility, right? Take like a medical study. Hey, we did this thing and is this reproducible? You know, we have to find out by testing it enough times. What I want to say is what Florida did with play design, play calling, architecture, looking at the numbers correctly, those results are reproducible and that they will increase your expected value. The range with which you get out of them is not knowable. So as an investor, that's kind of the world I live in is I can say, look, here's four strategies. If you take this one, it's the most likely one to be the best. It will reproduce the results over time, but they won't look like the results have looked in the past. And I can't even tell you what they will be. But I can tell you that if you rank them versus these other four strategies, they will probably wind up being better if enough time goes by. That's true in this case. If you're asking me, Alan, can what we do scheme wise, uh, how we utilized our talent this week lead to a better result in general over how we've been doing things in the past? The answer is yes. It will more often lead to better results. Of course, also, it could lead to worse results in a one-game scenario where you miss some of these passes, you miss a few assignments on the O-line, you play a better opponent that matches up better with you. So it's not like we're now going to expect all these things. But to me, yes, I think what we saw on film is reproducible from the standpoint of it does increase your expected value. And I hope Florida continues to do it while managing the realities of having to game plan for your opponent. That is what you want to do. Get the right matchups versus the right guys in the right moments. Uh, But yes, yes, this is a reproducible thing. What Florida put on film was a lot of meta strategy, man route combinations, a lot of excellent, as we mentioned, four and five pattern combinations, a lot of two-on-one-ing, high and low, um, hook defenders, apex defenders, corners, safeties. I mean, all over the field, they were they were threatening you. And if you can ask questions, to borrow a soccer term, if you can ask questions of the defense, you're often going to have success. If you don't ask any questions of the defense and you let them just stand in their spots and play alignment football, you're probably not going to have great success. So I hope Florida continues to, quote, ask questions of the defenses they face because they do have opportunities versus the teams they play in the future who have defenses that have been very suspect. I agree. I'm hopeful as well. I think this isn't just running for a lot of yards for carry against an overmatched opponent. This isn't McNeese State where they're just not even threatening you at all. This was, you know, a style and a strategy I think can work for Florida. They've kind of maybe found out who they are a little bit. They came into the year thinking we're going to try to run, and if we're able to run the ball well, we're going to hit some play action. That wasn't very successful because we weren't able to run the ball efficiently. But I think Graham Mertz can do this, again, maybe not to this high a level, or it doesn't mean you won't take sacks or throw picks because you're dropping back to pass so many more times. But this feels like they could come out and approximate this, at least try to do it. Um, it, There was nothing really fluky about what they were doing. And I think that gives me a lot of confidence that they'll be able to move forward and have some kind of success, more success than they've had in the first maybe five games of what they were trying to do, even just, like you said, as a meta strategy of how do we attack a defense. Um, Yeah, and so that's really cool. I I think that I go into these future games thinking, yeah, if we get a much better performance from the defense, that we're not going to have to score almost 50 points to win the game, that maybe we could score 32 and win 32-24 and things like that. So that there's a lot of... (laughs) <laughs> we're going to get to the defense in a minute. There's a lot of noisy stats here and there's a lot of variance because it's such a young unit, but I think this offense can get there. Uh, okay. feels like we've been talking previously about 
man, some of the scheme is potentially holding us back or some of what we're trying to do in the passing game, not just our effectiveness at it. But now that maybe by far the biggest limitation is the O-line. Would you agree with that? Yeah, which we said, and that's what it should be, right? So on paper, you walk into this season and you say, I'm going to maximize the offense from a design standpoint. I'm going to create plays that maximize my resources. And I know I'm playing with one arm tied by my back because my offensive line is not that good. But I'm going to do things to help them by keeping the opposing team off balance, by creating some momentum with open receivers, by spreading the ball out more, which look, Billy Napier has run spread concepts before. That's not new. But by doing it more often so I don't force them to play with a very tight formation where anybody could be coming from anywhere to confuse his own blocking scheme. If I go out in twins and I'm two by two and I'm spread out east-west, it's harder for the offensive linemen to get confused. There are fewer guys from fewer rush angles. It's a little simpler. And Florida largely does better in that situation. So you begin to help your biggest limitation. You run screens at the right time, right? You do things to keep the opponent off balance. Knowing you know what you can't do, you probably can't rely on Mertz getting three and a half, four seconds back there to run certain concepts. So let's try to minimize the times we do that right. when we feel like we've really got them off balance. And that's where, again, play calling, play design can help your limitations but this was supposed to be the biggest limitation that's what we had said from the beginning that's not unknown now you have to keep working around it and I thought Florida did its best job of working around it by largely Allen just giving the offense a lot more opportunities to where hey you know what? we're gonna miss half of them if we hit half of them that's probably double the yardage and perhaps even double the points which I think is exactly what wound up being true. so interestingly I think you could have created a narrative that the offensive line was not going to be the biggest weakness this year right so coming in the year it was like probably Graham Mertz is the limitation. Sure. Not to right. us. Not I to think. us, right? Yeah, but I think that could have been a narrative. Yeah. Right. And the, the offensive line, you know, a lot of new pieces could have been fine or better than average. They've been subpar. They've had to deal with some injuries. They're playing guys who are probably ill-suited for their roles. And, yeah, I think what Florida wanted to do is come out and, you know, average five yards a carry. They haven't been even close to that. And that gummed everything up, and it took a while. But again, again, we could go back to that in two weeks, and maybe we go, "Oh man," kind of like the Tennessee game last year. It was a little bit of an aberration of what we did schematically. Um, but hopefully, the light is starting to shine through here because I, I love what we did this week. Because again, we minimize some of our limitations. We kind of maximize what Gray Mertz can do, and we needed to score this many points, obviously, because sometimes you get in a shootout and you have to do it. Yeah, you've got to win in a variety of ways. And one thing I want to keep coming back to, I think if you're just a college football fan, it's possible that you underestimate the week-to-week variability of football. If you're an NFL fan, you really appreciate, do the Buffalo Bills suck? After two weeks ago, the media anointed them as, as the greatest team in the NFL this season, perhaps, amongst the 49ers and others. The 49ers suck because they lost to a team in the Browns that played a XFL quarterback yesterday. No, it's the NFL. They're pro athletes. The margin for winning and losing in football is thin. The games are relatively short. Momentum is very high. Scheme can work for a game, right? Each game is its own adventure, if you will. And in college football, it's magnified because these are college kids in general. So you've got to accept the variance that exists within football because you're just not going to get like this consistently great ceiling performance every single week, which means, Alan, you have to win at times when your defense is not playing well. You have to win at times when your offense is not playing well which means you need to have enough tools in your bag that you can win with a variety of methods. 
Because you can't just count on winning with one method. That's not how football works. And that's why this is good. Because Florida's defense laid an egg. Florida's offense came to the rescue. Did enough to get it done. And at the end, as a team, the defense got the job done. But last and not least, football is a wild game. Florida does not win this game if South Carolina does not make mistakes at the end to allow them to win. So if we're doing a South Carolina podcast, you know what we're talking a lot about? The number of missed tackles South Carolina had to end the football game. For sure. Multiple fourth down plays where they get us in a look that's good for them. We're throwing a ball in the flat to our tight end with a defender that's right on him waiting to contain tackle him. And he's got to gain 11 yards. That guy overruns it, winds up not slowing down Arliss at all, turns the corner, gets a first down and a check down bailout, right? And there's more plays like that we could look at. So it's really important not to get too high Mm -hmm. and think, man, we clapped them. We're awesome. We converted those fourth downs because the reality is just as much as you're going to be pissed off at our defense for contributing to their offense, they contributed to our offense. And that's how football goes, by the way. It's like you can't just look at it one side and think we're going to tackle them every time. We're not. They're not. Uh, but at any rate, I wanted to mention that because it was razor thin, razor thin. for either team at the end there. And uh, players made plays in moments at times when really the play was not going to work, bailed it out, and Florida answered the bell and got a huge win. And the offense was was hyper productive in this football game. The best performance, we had said Florida at Tennessee was the best one last year for Napier's offense. This is now the best one. It resulted in a win, and uh, they you know came down from 10 to seal out and win this football game. Uh, really, really great stuff. And again, lots of guys contributed to it, but we can't, I think we can't say enough about how much we love the style. And I got to imagine if you're Billy, you saw the smile on his face, Alan, this is the state of Florida. We talked about a brand mismatch. This is the kind of brand identity you want, right? You want to go recruit and say, this is how we play football right here. This is what we're doing. If you come to this school. And to me, that is just way more exciting and marketable than some of the style that Florida's put out there before. Ultimately, you have to win. It's not just about style. But what we put out there on film in this game, I think, is something you can easily go out and say, come here, we're just at the beginning. It's only going to get better. Look at the concepts we put on film. Agreed. And as you said, razor thin. And yeah, we tend to lean more on like, what are we doing schematically and how do we adjust? And But notable efforts from a lot of guys. You mentioned Arliss. Great one-on-one win by him. Trey, just his explosiveness carried the day in a lot of ways. I mean, and it gets crazy, right? The tip ball that goes right to him and almost like they planned it. Trey just accelerates through that, picks up more yards. Mertz made some excellent maneuvers in the pocket, rolled out under pressure a lot of times and made some great throws. On the the fourth down to win, they called the perfect play call. They bring an edge pressure right into Mertz's throw window. And if that defender does what he should do, stay to the outside shoulder, keep him in the pocket, and the game is over. It's over, fundamentally over. Instead, he steps, he steps too far inside. Mertz is able to roll around him on the outside, throws up a 50-50 ball. When he throws it, thinking it's a 50-50 to Ricky, Ricky turns around so cleanly, he makes it a clean, easy catch. But none of that happens if South Carolina's defender does what he's coached to do, and he doesn't. And so again, you have to always keep that in mind when you're watching football. It's like that play... They actually had us on that rush call. They got us, they caught us clean, and they lose a game. And so does that mean their coach should be fired in that moment? You know, you have to be careful with that stuff. Yeah, man. If you're South Carolina right now, you are hurting because this was a very winnable game. You probably, you kind of feel like 
I can't believe we lost that game. Uh, Much more than rightfully so. I can't believe we won. No, I think that's true. I think it's exactly right. And that's why it's so satisfying as a win is we were on the mat about to be knocked out and that was going to hurt bad. And we got up off the mat and took a W out of there. Just, you know, there's a very small sample size in college football. Each of these games is important to win. All right, anything else about the offense before we move to the defense? Yeah, ways to improve. Let's lean heavily into this. And you said it best. This is not unprecedented. We saw Florida put stuff on a film that I loved versus Tennessee in that loss last year. I loved it. I was hyped. I'm like, let's go. Let's get the ball rolling. Never again did that ball roll. So hopefully, look, Georgia's Georgia's going to really hamper whatever any team does. Right. So let's not let's not get crazy with that, right? They're going to stifle you no matter what your style is to a large degree. But let's attempt to die on the hill with this style of football rather than some of the other stuff we've died on the hill with before. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. Okay, the defense. Another rather rough performance for them. South Carolina goes 5 of 10 on third down. 0 for 0 on fourth down, interestingly, although they almost ran several fourth down plays and then kept shooting themselves in the foot. 465 yards total, 313 passing, 152 rushing, 4.6 yards per rush. Florida did force four punts, had two sacks and six tackles for loss. Okay. The thing, and I've rewatched this game now twice, uh, once in the broadcast and once in a cut-up. Um, we talked a lot about Spencer Rattler and the what you know kind of lead up to this, and really all every time we mentioned them, the word that you've used is 
you know, he's played like a wizard. He was unreal in this game at times, right? That doesn't even show up in the stats, but the how he gets him out of trouble, the plays that he makes, his timing on some of these throws, where he puts the ball, avoiding the rush. Uh, the one throw that, again, is emblematic of me, he's got Chris McClellan on top of him, off his back foot, puts a moon ball to Leggett on like the three-yard line. Now, they actually end up kicking a field goal on that drive, but that was wild. I was like, I don't know what we're going to do with this guy. He ran at the right times for the most part. He didn't make any really terrible mistakes, although he shouldn't have thrown that pick at the end. But he was excellent in this game. How you described him, how, you know, if you've watched in South Carolina, that's what you've seen. So when you're slicing up the blame here for the defensive performance, right, them, them performing under what they would hope to, is that on the wizardry of Rattler or a lot of critical mistakes by the defense? It really, well, first of all, Rattler was exactly what we said he would mm. be. And hopefully that's a benefit you get from listening to the podcast is, is that guy was playing awesome on film. We said as much versus everyone. And he, he did it clearly again in this game. Uh, but no, I think you got from Rattler what you would have expected to get from him. And that kind of output typically for them was turning into about 20 points which is what they would have had had Florida not gotten gashed in the run game. That is the unbelievably disappointing thing, is this was a team that was almost dead last in rushing in the entire country, Allen, and they were running all over Florida. And that is what allowed them to be eminently more dangerous. Your game plan becomes different when they're running the ball for you know 8, 9, 10 yards a carry early in the game, and then ultimately they rejiggered their entire offensive line, a lot of the same guys, but switch positions. And, yeah, interesting. Uh, was that the thing that helped them? We'll find out in the future. I'll talk about Florida's surprising pressure rate in a second. I think a lot of you are going to be shocked. Uh, but all in all, I think if you pointed to one thing, it's that you cannot allow a team that cannot run the ball to run the ball when they have what I think is probably the most truly dangerous quarterback in the SEC. Jaden Daniels is a Heisman candidate, but he's on a much more talented offense and better team. Spencer Rattler is a magician in Witzer because what he is doing with this offensive line is what you saw. It's magic. It's sorcery. It's incredible. And then I thought, we'll talk about this. I thought that Florida's game plan, this was the most suspect game plan I thought Florida had at times. They had a good game plan for a lot of it. Didn't work. They, I'm confused at some of the things that Coach Ham decided to do, seeing what Spencer was doing on film. Uh, and I think ultimately that that caused Florida to pay a price when perhaps they didn't have to. Uh, but without Spencer Rattler, this South Carolina team is a bad football team. He's that good that he's keeping them in games that they have no business being in. And then along with Xavier Leggett, who we saw heavily featured mm-hmm. in this game, those two guys are a wrecking crew. Uh, and I can't say enough good things about him, even though personally I don't love Spencer Rattler. I saw the the QB1 show that existed when he was in high school. That's many years ago. Yeah, maybe but he's a little different. Who knows? Hard, yeah, he could be. But, you know, it's like from what I know from that, hard to love. But, man, that guy could play some ball. And uh, he, he played some ball. And we'll mention some more stuff here with numbers and other stuff here in a second. I'll leave, I'll leave that for now as you walk us through kind of what happened in the game. So it was interesting. It felt like the defense was close on a lot of series. And even a lot of big plays came down to South Carolina winning one-on-one balls. And we had no real answer for Xavier Leggett. Now, again, they busted us on a lot of big runs. There were, there were some other things. But often their biggest successes were guys just winning one-on-one down the field and we didn't have a really answer for it. So there's that. And there's also plays where it felt like their tight ends were running free. There's a on the Mario Anderson touchdown where he's wide open in the flat. 
feel like we missed a lot of their non-wide receiver uh, options, right? We were covering the receivers for the most part. They were just winning. But it felt like we lost the the defenses, you know, lost the thread on where those tight ends were, where the running backs were in, in, in the past game. Well, you're right. The D was close on a lot of series. It could have been a different game in that regard. That's what changes the game. Third down conversions and, and South Carolina was houdini their way out of a lot of long ones. Spencer Rather's legs got things started. Florida mm-hmm. did not employ a spy until the very last drive, which I thought was very surprising because we've seen Florida employ spies against other quarterbacks. And look, Spencer Rather is elusive. I mean, period. If you don't think he is, watch the film. I think Florida would have been wise, Alan, to have employed a spy. I know why you don't want to, because what we also said was true is they run really good route combinations and they're dangerous. So you often want to employ your extra defender in the pass game. But I think you'd rather live and die with rather making tough throw after tough throw after tough throw than him escaping the pocket and running for first downs. The tight end stuff was frustrating because we said coming into the game, he was their second most targeted player. We knew they utilized him. I thought Florida's linebackers were as bad as they've been this season entirely. I thought Samar James played the worst game in his Florida career. I mean, he played a train wreck F-level game as far as how I'm grading him out for what matters to me. He was absent from the start. He wasn't run-fitting. He was slow. Uh, He blew assignments. The linebackers in general were frequently blowing assignments, running into the wrong gap on run-fit. We had a hard time across the board handling their pre-snap motions. Something we've seen before, right? The ways to improve on our defense is largely becoming get your assignments correct with these pre-snap motions. We struggled from corners to linebackers to Jason Marshall to Kimber to pretty much everyone trying to figure out where they're going at some point in time in the game. And that led to South Carolina getting the one-on-one matchups they wanted. They were dictating to our defense, which I'm sure is going to sit unhappily in Coach Ham's crawl because he likes to dictate to them. But they were able to get Leggett on Jaden Hill one-on-one we didn't bracket Kimber. we almost yeah we almost never bracket. no no Jaden Hill was frequently guarding Leggett oh. one-on-one yes Nicholas. he was and also Kimber was well that's involved. that's fine yes. I mean if you're gonna do it Kimber was often all over Leggett yeah. running with him plenty of times but you know still we we chose at times not to bracket Leggett and bracket someone else which is wildly confusing given the target numbers that existed so this is the game where I'm going to take away three things one questionable tactics by coach hand largely i've been like this is really good stuff i i think some of the game plan there was lacking a lot of the rest of it was great two um we were fooled by south carolina's game plan in the first half billy said as much in the first half they're doing things they haven't done before coming out of their bye week well of course they're going to do that but that was largely things that i think you would have expected how do we get leggett on hill how do you get your number one receiver on a nickel? How do you get him to not have anything but just man? How do you get the safety out of the way? They were running stuff that were that were slowing down our pre-snap process because we've struggled with that. But I think outside all of that, the run fit is just disappointing. Disappointing. It really hurt us versus Kentucky. It hurts us again. And run fit is just knowing your assignment. This is my gap. I have to get there. If it's a blocker, I got to strike a block. And for Florida to just allow them to run through open gaps And the numbers are right. This is not on coordinating. We have the right numbers to play each gap, Alan. But to just again and again and again not be there has got to drive Armstrong crazy. It would drive me crazy because the play design was fine on those plays. So it was sort of a smorgasbord of a bunch of stuff in general that led to this. And also Spencer Rattler was on fire and making Florida pay as Spencer Rattler does. He was 10 for 10 at one point. Correct. As he can make things look you know, worse than they really are. But I think if you can wave a wand, Florida stops the run. 
uh, and fought against the assignments correct, this is what we thought it would have been. 20-point performance, Spencer Rattler Houdini's his way into points. But man, when you're when you're blowing assignments and you're not stopping the run and Spencer Rattler's running on you, that's what you get. You get 39 points scored on you. Yeah, it was rough for a lot of reasons. And again, there's a lot of those. So Jalen Kimber was on the broadcast a lot because he was close but no cigar. A Oftentimes lot of he had perfect coverage right. for like three quarters of the way through it, but he's not turning his head around in time. He's not finishing the play. Mm-hmm. So interestingly, a guy that we've loved, Devin Moore. Didn't play at all. Yeah. I, and I don't know if he's there's an injury or with his height and his length, you think that would have been a guy they would try out there. I mean, I mean Kimber's been good this year, but – Clearly wasn't up to the task of botting up Leggett. I don't know if Devin Moore would have done it any better. I mean, I love Devin Moore. I'm, I've been a little surprised with his usage this year. I mean, I trust who they're rolling out their personnel on defense. Mm-hmm. And they try a lot of guys, so maybe he had an issue injury-wise. I don't know. But, yeah, I think sure. I think you could have tried to roll him out there given that Florida was not having a lot of success stopping the pass. Just a question. I would have liked to have seen him out there. Sure. And again, he might not have been available. Sure. Who knows? Um. So we've talked a lot about having young safeties. It hasn't really bitten us in the butt yet. At least not like enough to enough. cost the whole game. But we've seen moments of difficulty. Right. It cost Florida a little bit in this game. I mean, we knew, we know and knew that our safeties cannot really tackle. None of them can. And if you're running split safety, which we cover a lot in the film review, but again, split safety of two safeties almost always on a down that's probably a rundown, your safety comes down and run fit. And if your safety can tackle, think Troy Polamalu back in the NFL, kind of maybe the main poster child for this role. It's awesome because you can play run and pass and you can get an extra run defender in the box. You can be deceptive. But right now, even when Florida brings their safety in perfectly, these guys can't tackle. They get run over. They miss tackles. And they're young. And that's okay. They're young. Like this is a huge step up from high school to where they are now. And I thought passing wise, generally speaking, they do a really nice job of doing their job in coverage, which is complicated. It's much easier to play run fit. I'm, I'm on the C gap. Go. You just got to tackle, right? So it's it's sort of here and there. But I, I don't think that this game was necessarily about them as much as it was, as we said. The linebackers, linebackers were yeah. really struggling. Scooby missing assignments, missing the wrong gap. Taraj Mitchell gets in there as a guy who's a veteran and hits the wrong gap a lot of times and, and misses plays. I mean, it was not ideal. I think... I like what I see. Thornton got a timeshare in this game. Miguel Mitchell got a lot more play. I like Thornton a lot more than Miguel Mitchell. Miguel Mitchell's a bigger guy right now, but I think Thornton gets to the spot faster. He breaks down better when trying to tackle. I would just assume go with him almost entirely. Yeah, the idea of Miguel Mitchell is that he is going to come downhill and tackle. Correct. But he has not. He hasn't been doing that well enough, either because he's just hesitant or whatever it might be. And he's often late to the hole. Like, Thornton is quick to do what he's supposed to do. And I'd almost just air with that right now. But Florida's got to fix. That's the point of this. Florida's got to fix their run fit with their safeties, obviously also with their linebackers. But if we're going to play spit safety, we have got to get one of those guys to come down and make tackles in the hole. Because there's so many plays where it's a five or six yard gain. They got us with a good play. It's going to happen in football. They get you with a good play, minimize the damage. And Florida gives up max damage, especially on the road. Max damage. Tackle for a five-yard gain? Nope. Touchdown for 25 yards instead. You just can't have that stuff happening to you so often. But silver lining, these aren't seniors. Right. And they're not in the wrong position 
they're right there a lot of times. So that, that's like that's the silver lining is they're right there and they're missing a and tackle. This is the, what can you do? This is the frustrating part about R.J. Moten because the idea of him theoretically is he a safety? Is he a linebacker? If you bring him down and run fit, you're basically bringing a much heavier guy into that play. But he's often looked just as bad in tackling as these freshman guys. And so then what? What do you really do with him? Especially because if a team knows they can get him one-on-one in a passing scenario, right. they're taking that every single day of the week. So not that he – so, again, if you have a guy who's good at one thing, you can utilize that. But he's struggled to find his way in any aspect of the Florida defense. That's that's frustrating when you bring in a guy with some more experience and you're, you're thinking, okay, then maybe he could fill this role for us against a team that runs the ball a lot. Well, he can do enough back there at safety, and he can really run fit. We haven't really gotten that out of him yet. And, you know, with the disappearance of Kamari Wilson from the team, you're left with playing two true freshmen. Again, it could be you just say that word out loud, playing two true freshmen at safety. That just is a recipe for disaster. It hasn't been, but it also – there's a cost to doing that most of the time, and Florida experienced some more of that this game. Okay, um – we gave out high praise for the offense. We haven't really crushed the defense for this. Are we being too lenient on them in this analysis? Oh, no, I'm waiting to. I mean, I'm okay. super disappointed with what happened. You know, we've gone in there saying, I think a lot of what we saw against Kentucky won't happen again. Well, that's true. South Carolina was not gap running us into oblivion. In fact, they were zone running on us, which is unreal because we've been excellent versus straight ahead inside zone running and they were gashing us. So, disappointing is just the right word uh i hope shamar you know behind closed doors who's a great player and again every time we talk about these critiques alan i'm not like shamar sucks shamar's awesome he's a great player and i wonder if there was any kind of i mean i heard something we heard something about injuries and linebackers very vaguely yeah who knows but the goal is like assuming there's not something like that this is where you fire your players up as a coach you know what you can't have this stuff you're the leader of the defense you need to be the most vocal most fired up tone setter out there and I think that's what Florida missed in that game. Who is the tone setter on defense right now? There is Who is the guy the defense looks at? And it, it really can't be a D lineman because they're too close to the line of scrimmage, right? Like Princely right now is the guy who consistently puts amazing stuff on film yes, every single game. Yes, wins every time. But he's not in the linebacker spot. He can't look at the safeties before the play. He can't fire people up. You need Somebody needs to take the bull by the horns here. The offense has two of them in Mertz and in Ricky. The defense needs a guy. It's like, this is unacceptable. And I'm going to lead by example with my play. And I think on the road, what happens with this defense is they're young. They all look at each other. There isn't a dude that's like, I I got you. Trust me. Do this. I got this. Let's follow it. And they sorely need that. But that's also always a silver lining with all of our disappointment is there are ready-made excuses here that make sense. And a lot of what Florida does, which is very complicated, is excellent. Florida played a lot of really wonderful zone versus South Carolina. That's going to go unnoticed. Like a lot of times, really good stuff. All those times that Rattler escaped was because we shut down their passing game, like bottled everything up with a lot of excellent concepts, mixing up our concepts. That's high-level stuff with two freshmen at times in there at safety. High praise. Uh, Often the front four, and this was the right play. We had said coming into this game that Spencer rather has shredded every pressure brought against him just annihilated I saw a lot of comments after the game I think by fans that don't pay attention to the deeper stuff in football and take the narrative that like media will take watching the game oh man Florida's having a hard time getting pressure they're only bringing three or four on this play it's like well here's the reason why (laughs) Florida brought are you ready for this this is pretty good Florida brought pressure 10 times in this game South Carolina was nine for 10 
against those pressures. Mm-hmm. Florida brought five-man pressures, which we said is like, just don't even do it. Like he is destroying cover one and five-man pressures. South Carolina went six of seven for like 130 yards for all of their touchdowns, basically. All Yikes. of them, every single one. You're murdering them. So like, what do you do though if you're Coach Ham? Because three and four is not getting there. Not like we saw on film. Not like he saw on film, right? I go into the game if I'm Coach Ham, I'm like, we're going to get there. I mean, everyone's getting there. Credit South Carolina for changing everything. But you're not getting there. Well, you got to do something. Let's bring some pressure. Well, you're getting murdered. I mean, at some point, I think it's very easy for fans to be like, this is unbelievable. Like, our coordinators suck on every side of the ball. Like, we, we're, we're garbage. But sometimes you have players in the field, too. And you're like, Wait, how do you handle your ships? I like that Florida tried everything in this game. We tried everything. We ultimately win the game by sending a six-flex to seven-man pressure to sack Spencer Rattler. That's the drive that gets him off the field. That's a significant, that's the most pressure we sent. Like cover zero, max sent. I love it because you know what's not working is a five-man pressure. pressure. That's good coordinating. Not only is it not working, he's murdering you. Correct. And then the play that wins the game wins the game is a spy with TJ Searcy. Freaking beautiful. Three-man rush. The fourth guy, Searcy. Don't use a linebacker. Keep your max max coverage back there. Spy Spencer. We're running a drop zone that's perfectly absorbing all of their routes. Nobody's open. Cersei is able to roll with Spencer when he wants to roll out to buy more time. He feels him. That allows Sap to get in there and forces a bad throw. So it's like, that's the first throw down. The second play, of course, we get pressure up the gut. But it's like two plays in a row, we got pressure with four. But in large part, because we employed a spy. And now Rattler knows I can't do what I want to do, which is buy this time. So I want to silver line the disappointing part of this. This was fine in some regards because Florida gets up off the mat. They finish this game with a win with two stops. And they do so by changing tactics. They do so by continually trying everything. Different players, different moments, different tactics, different zones, different dropbacks, different pressures, different front sevens, right? Everything. They're doing everything. That's what you want to do. This is why I think, unflappably so, that Coach Ham is a star and is going to only get better and better. He's a promising, up-and-coming, I think, baller D.C., this game does not dissuade me a bit. I think he's pissed about it, as he should be. I think he wants better out of his unit. I think he's going to look back and think tactically he got some stuff wrong. But for the large part, the meta game plan was right. And then again, by the end, when the game mattered, how many times have we come on this podcast, Alan, and talked about how how the heck are we still doing this when this team has gotten us? Well, you know what? We didn't do that. It's a big reason why we got on the field twice to win the game. And I can't sing enough praises for that moment. That That, that is big. That is important, but a ton of frustrating stuff in this particular football game. And here's the fun stat that most of you are not going to believe. Didn't look like we got a lot of pressure. I have said all year long that Florida actually generates a lot of what you would consider to be pressures, not getting a lot of sacks, not getting a lot of picks. South Carolina averaged a woeful 35% pressure rate per drop back, which is like exceedingly high. It's one of the worst in the country. We had a 46% pressure rate in this game on dropbacks. 46%. Now, some of that comes because the coverage was good and he had to then escape pressure that eventually got there. But what that tells you is this game could have gone to your original point differently for the defense. If they get off the field on third and six, third and 10, third and 11, third and 11, third and 11, third and 10, this is a different football game for them. And South Carolina probably scores the 20 points we thought they would score, but they didn't. And that is what swung this game. And a lot of that goes full circle to Spencer Rattler being a freaking wizard back there, man. The dude is good. But if we don't let him run the ball, that stuff doesn't happen. The run stuff is concerning. That's got to concern Coach Ham. It's got to concern Billy. We can't keep getting our run fits like this exposed where teams are just gouging us for big plays. That is not a recipe that's going to win 
versus the better teams we are now going to face. That junk has got to get fixed. It's got to get right. And I'm sure they're going to spend all of their time getting it right because that is reproducible in a bad way. Yes. Uh, Again, yeah, as I said, they're close. Again, maybe breaking up some downfield plays, getting to Rattler. Again, if you you pick up a few more sacks, you pick up a turnover, whatever it might be. Again, the game starts to shift a little bit. But yeah, as the two things... Rattler being a wizard and then giving up those big run plays or just even really consistently running the ball uh, doomed them to a bad performance. And yeah, again, there, we have so little data with this defense. You have some excellent performances and then you have some questionable performances. You have some in between and you would expect some variance for a team that's playing so many young guys plus a ton of new guys, right? In a first year system, and not a first-year DC, but a first-year DC at the Power 5 level, a guy who's barely 30 years old, you'd expect some of that. So it, it doesn't. it's not outside the realm of expectation or even just what would be the probability. You'd want to see them continue to improve, right? A good coach with good players will continue to improve. They will stop doing the things that they were doing poorly before. They'll always have limitations, right? There'll always be two freshman safeties if they're back there. We'll have... Uh, limitations at linebacker potentially in certain situations. Yeah, and, we're always playing an undersized Scooby. Like when yeah. Florida plays two linebackers, Scooby will always be undersized to mm-hmm. be like a run fit, run stopping linebacker, always. And so if right. teams can start getting the ball rolling on you, and this is what happens to Florida, what do they do? Who do they go to? Nunnery is limited. We know that Mitchell, Taraja is very limited. Then they right. go to him. They try. They try it because what else are you going to do? But, you know, yeah. we, we don't have the, we don't have two Shamars right now which would be very different if we did. And we will eventually. So to your point, you got to recognize the complicated nature of all of these things before you're quick to hang a very reductive explanation on one thing or the other. It's often a lot of things. And sometimes, as you know, listen to this podcast, it's a lot of times the coaching, which we'll say, and a lot of times it's the players. And sometimes it's both. And we try to parse out what all of them are, but don't ever get too big about one game on any side of the ball. You need a trend of a lot of them before you can start to say, this is probably the smoking gun. Right. I think that, and again, you, it's easy for us as Florida fans. We have a long history with this program, but this is a short history with this staff and these players. And, you know, again, you get to the point with Grantham where you're like, okay, I've seen you coach this other places. I've seen you coach this here (laughs) with Armstrong. Again, there's a lot that we're still learning about him. Uh, I love him. I still yeah. love the guy. I think he's going to be amazing. All right. You ready to talk about special teams? I'm ready. <laughs> All right. The We haven't mentioned him yet, and he's maybe the MVP of this game if Graham Mertz hadn't gone nuts. Trey Smack, four for five field goals, and one was blocked, which they let a guy through. It wasn't a bad kick by Smack. Yeah, anything. which, by the way, should – should that count as a block? I talked to Caleb Sturgis about this, and he, of course, agrees. He's like, "Yeah, it's it's cruel that like there should be an error hit rate thing like in baseball, right? Like if someone gets right through and blocks your kick, you didn't miss that kick. It's not your fault. You didn't kick it into, into the, the line. line. Yeah. So to me, he's four for four, and he's undefeated on the season with with kicks. I mean, that, that's cruel. But and we don't have the I don't have the uh, kick links in front of me here, but some deep kicks in that four for five as well that were in easily i mean the yes. guy was like justin tucker out there he was a machine and right down the middle every time epic so he's been a revelation where we go from the first week is like this is now a major weakness of this team has become a major strength is him kicking the ball 
Oh, major strength. We don't win the game without Trey Smith. Right. And, man, that is, that's kind of wild when you step back from it. Is oh, We've had this guy the whole time. He just hadn't earned the trust of the coaches yet. And here he is. I think he's earned it now. Oh, yeah. They really trust this guy. They put him in positions. They're letting him kick big kicks, not just in the time of the game, but in distance. And, yeah, really thrilled with him. Oh, love it. And we asked the question multiple times. I mean, he was the number one overall kicker Mm -hmm. coming out of high school. And, you know, for whatever reason, wasn't getting it going. But, look, sometimes it takes another person's failure to allow you to succeed. Uh, I'm talking to you, Baker Mayfield. It's time for Kyle Trask to get his chance. Uh, But, you know, obviously in this case, you never never root for that situation. But I think Trey, in the old football term, has made the most of his opportunity. He's not looking back. Two fun facts about Trey in this game. One, Florida did it again. They did it again, Alan. Mm. When we're at 10 points, we go kick a field goal, and we only have 10 men on the field. But that did not stop Trey from putting it through the uprights. <laughs> we were one short of protector. Wow. And we protected. Yeah, I was wondering, I saw that you put that out there. I didn't know if that was on the missed or on no, the blocked Thankfully, one. it wasn't on the one they blocked, actually. And South Carolina, as Shane Beamer does, was exploring all the different ways to try to block Florida's kicks throughout the game. And they were loading up all different. Every, they were pressuring every area, and of course, they did get to one. And also, this is this is courtesy of Daytona Steve. Okay. Yep. Daytona Steve, upon watching Trey Smack bang a few field goes through after we revitalized him and brought him back to life, says, "You know, makes sense. He's making all these kicks. He's got a three on the back of his jersey already. Trey Smack the third. He's like, he's got a three already there. Of course, there he got to make a bunch of threes. So every time you see Trey Smack, now you know." He's already got a three on there. He's going to nail them all. But great stuff. I mean, obviously, heroic game by him. I mean, just amazing, just amazing stuff. Love the guy. Um, Florida doesn't punt very much in this game, so you don't see much from Crawshaw. And everything else is kind of quiet other than the 10 men on the field. Uh, Which is not ideal. That's too right. many times that's happening. And again, that once is like, hey, guys, come on. Yeah. This is just like five times is what are we doing? It's wild, actually. Yeah. So here's the thing that, you know, we like to talk about, you know, kind of punt returns. Ricky back there, again, for the same reason that he's not a good, as good of a release valve guy, his acceleration and his shiftiness back there, it's fine. He's not bad at it per se, but it's not his strength. I don't know if we want just, maybe we don't want to expose Trey Wilson back there, which is almost the ideal punt returner. Oh, he is the ideal guy. But yeah. I'll tell you right, I'm not using him there right now. I wouldn't either. Because we're not at the roster level where we have... Eventually, you want to have a guy like Trey who's not quite Trey running routes and doing other stuff, and that that's your guy. And we don't have that. So he's such a key cog to the offense now. Whatever. I'll take pedestrian returns. And I probably don't put Ricky back there if I didn't have to. Right. Or I fair catch it most of the time. Because we just don't have... We don't have the depth. One of these guys goes down, the offense looks very different. And so you have to start managing that. Right. Too. And you're in the back half of the season here... Now, if there were a game on the schedule, let's say we get to Florida State. Oh, yeah. Then put him back there and let him go nuts. Yeah, also selectively. Yeah. You're down by a score against Georgia. You know, he should be getting reps all the time. Yeah. You put your best guy in in those moments. I think that's when you have to be. Yes, I think tactically I would like to see it. Yep. But I agree 100%. Now, what would be really great if this, if Billy continues to load up the roster, if you have a freshman, Trey Wilson, that there are other guys ahead of him. There are other Trey Wilsons ahead of him. Yep. yep. Then – Man, what a luxury to have him back there as a 
punt returner. Yeah, I think that's a goal, and it also helps with recruiting because you give a guy who's going to become somebody some PT early on doing something. Mm-hmm. He touches the ball. He's an important part of the game. I think those are all good strats. So I don't really know what I would like us to do there. Um, there's not a person I, I don't think necessarily like is an obvious upgrade over Ricky. That isn't Trey and then has risks. Yeah. yeah. And so we'll see. Uh, coaching decisions. So this is, I would say... There are a lot of opportunities for Billy to coach slash manage this game. And I think most of these are spot on, right? Uh, but I want to get your opinions on them. All right. So Florida gets a – or South Carolina gets a penalty, uh, which allows Florida to uh, move closer on the – whether you want to be a two-point conversion or kick an extra point. They decide, okay, that's – closer we're gonna go for it and we have a fun little play here where we score we easily score the two-point conversion did you like going for it after i love it because we say it every time it depends on the play you have Mm -hmm. if you have a play like that that's gonna hit probably 95 percent of the time yeah am i gonna go for two even a little bit closer with a 95 percent play hit rate to put myself up a touch on the road yeah i'm gonna do it absolutely I'm, i'm gonna do it every time i loved it and I love, again, extra creativity. Also, did you know that ETM was left-handed? I did not. Because I did not. But I loved it. I mean, I loved it. And I think that's the key. Now, if you go out there and you just run like an inside zone and get stuffed, that is going to look bad. So it's play-dependent. So I liked it. I thought Billy did a great job of end-of-the-clock first-half management. Using his timeouts because he wanted to be aggressive and Florida gets a field goal, right? So he takes the timeout. It's third and seven for South Carolina with 138 left. If you're worried about them scoring on you and they have been moving the ball. You don't take the time out there because you're, you're giving them more time. Florida stops them, gets the ball back, gets down there for a field goal. I love that. That's the scared money. Don't make money approach. And I loved it. Message you send to your team. This is a message you send to your team. We are playing for max EV. We are playing to win. I trust you defense. Even when you've not been trustable, you can make a play. And I've trust you offense to go down the field and make a play. I'm not playing afraid of turnover. I'm not playing scared. I'm not limping into the half. I welcome this change across the board from Billy. This is the kind of stuff that you need to be a championship-level team. No championship-level coach is afraid of what could happen. He sees what he could make happen, and I loved it. That's what this is here. What can you make happen? How do you impose your will in the game? I loved it. So it's 4th and 11. Floor's down by two scores, about seven minutes left. Uh, You have to go for it here, and we did. Uh, Well, I'm of the opinion that you have to go for it here. Some coaches would, you know, coward up and punt. So going for it is the right call. We end up in a kind of a weird play set. Have to throw an outlet to Arliss. So I got to just give another shout out to Arliss who basically saves the game by getting upfield and getting the first down. But yes, you would agree that Florida had to go for it right there. They should have. And on top of that, they had a good play on actually. Mazuka blows a block as he did once or twice in this game. If he gets that block, we have Ricky wide open again on like a Y crosser, same Uh matchup he had been winning with every single time. One-on-one, easy ball, easy pitch and catch. It's going to be there, but pressure right up the A-gap immediately. You know, I think Mertz maybe could have hung on to wait and see if he could have had that, and Ched instead chose what looked like a doomed check down. Doomed check down, yeah. Uh, Maybe he needs to make more of a play there. I don't know, but it it works out. But yes, you have to go for it there because even if you don't get it, you still have to play defense, get the ball back, try again with two bullets in the gun. Punting is only yardage at that point in time. And yardage is not nearly as important. You're assuming stop, immediately go back again. You've been getting big plays on them. I think that was the right decision, too. 
All right, and then using timeouts on defense late in the fourth quarter. This is sometimes, you know, you could talk yourself into saving them for your offense. Did you like using both the timeouts there to slow them down the fourth quarter? Absolutely. We've talked before about how much I hate teams not stopping the clock because it's pressure. It's all pressure. If you've played sports and you look on the clock and you see 50 seconds versus 2 minutes and 10 seconds, there is a huge difference. Even if 2 minutes and 10 seconds comes with no remaining timeouts, it is just different. All the players feel it. I think you always want to put max pressure on your opponent whenever you can in these situations by loading up that clock as high as it can possibly be. Two-minute rules in college football are super favorable to the offense. Mm-hmm. The clock stops on first downs. It stops out of bounds, stops and complete passes. I thought that was excellent. Yes, and you can always you can control when you stop the clock on offense. You can clock it. You can do different things to hurry up while you can't hurry the other team up. Lastly, it gets a little weird at the end, right, Florida? There's only 20 seconds left or so, but South Carolina has all three timeouts. They decide to use them all. Florida takes a quick knee, then some other knees. We're in, a, we're in kind of a weird spot in the game where you can't – I was wondering if they are going to, on fourth down, run around and throw the ball sky high up in the air. But they elect to take the safety, which allows them to then, I guess, technically they punted it rather than kicked it off. I like this strategy. I thought it was the right one. Did you agree with that at the time? Definitely the right strategy, although a mistake initially by Billy here. Uh, he, I think, was very excited in the moment, I had to guess, and took his headset off and was like ready to go. Like, we kneel down immediately within one second, starts walking across the field, actually waves his arm dismissively at Shane Beamer because he yeah. calls a timeout, which I think now he looks back and think that was foolish by me. He probably mm-hmm. even maybe already apologized to Shane for that. Not yeah. a good look by Billy because every coach in America and the whole world should call timeouts there because they're going to force us to punt the ball. Now, Billy should have known that and immediately should have been razzle-dazzling in the backfield, right, delaying as much as possible, trying to take five seconds off each snap. So you go, you know, 15, 10, 5. Then on fourth down, that safety you take ends the game. Uh, instead, because we took a one-second kneel down, that actually gave South Carolina a chance to do something. Thankfully, we remedied. We didn't go Miami style and try to run for a first down. Backwards, backwards. Who cares about the statute at this point in time? Don't punt. Don't make the mistake Michigan-Michigan State game, right. right? Famously, do not punt. Run out of the back of the end zone. And then South Carolina compounds their problems by not fair catching our kickoff. And the game ends. But also, in general, yes, Bad start, good finish, way to correct the ship after. Right, I guess you're not quite that. doing the math on that right in the moment because it's... Well, you should be. You should be. That's right? what the head coach is supposed to do. Or have a guy in your staff and that's all he does. Sure. It's very understandable to me to miss that. Oh, he was, but, he's amped. He's like, yeah. again, someone in your ear. Hey, coach, coach, coach. Yeah, and Kill then, time. you know, even Mertz could have taken that. I think you run to the corner of the end zone. He could have taken more. Yeah. Stay there until they come for you. You probably could have gotten almost all the seconds off. Probably. But what I won't. You don't want to risk that. You don't want to risk that. There's a, there's a risk reward there. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I think that was once they were aware of the situation tactically, they did that the right way. I had to explain to somebody why they were taking a safety because it seems like, oh, what do you just give them more points? What are you doing? But absolutely the right car right there. So a lot of moments to either be aggressive or to have bad tactics instead. We mostly came away with really good tactics there. We did. If you want to get really wild about some fun rules, as long as you're not in the end zone on that last play, our O linemen and receivers should have just held every single South Carolina player entirely. Hmm. Hold them all. Tackle them. 
Who cares? Because the holding call, the choice is, do you want the result of the play, a safety timeout? Or do you want to accept the holding call, replay down, take a knee? So there, there you go. go. Fun fact for that kind of scenario. Now, teams don't want to do that because they don't want their linemen to like hold in the end zone. But we were not close to the end zone. So weird scenario, but a way to exploit the rules. All right. Any other coaching decisions I didn't bring up there for you? There was a no, just a minor one. I think in that first half drive and we had the ball, um, we were we kind of like wasted a lot of time at a certain point, kind of ran the ball, looked like things weren't going, wound up getting what we needed. But that was super minor. I think all in all, to your point, I'm glad you walked through these like we did significant difference in how Billy approached this game seeking I think to impose his will and increase his chances of producing rather than limit damage so to speak and I think that mindset fed the football team and it won in the game I think we needed every inch of that every inch of it every moment all right final thoughts here we talked about this being a momentum building I I think this was an enormous win for this team right with the narrative about road wins the fact that you you had some lucky moments, but you came away. You rallied back from 10 down in the fourth quarter to get a win. I think that's got to be really helpful for the mindset and the confidence of this team. I think it also buys you a lot more momentum, right? So not just in the you know short term, but in the long term, right? So you're heading into this bye week. Uh, you've got a 5-2 and two record, right? You're going to the back half of your schedule. But right now, that looks really clean. Your losses are to Utah and Kentucky. You know, we have our feelings about Kentucky, but neither of those are terrible losses, right? They're both on the road. I mean, Kentucky is terrible. It's a terrible. Well, it was especially as, terrible. As we said. Especially by the terrible way. the way that, that we played. In I love game. just repeating that. As sure. we said, that team is garbage. All but right, carry on. If just if you're scanning it. Yes. We're five and two. We're, you know, five and a half is the win total. Yeah, it's great. No, I think that sixth win is going to be hard to come by. Very hard to come by. Also, fun fact, if you're JT Raymond, I'm sure you've already thought about this. Uh, we control our own destiny to win the SEC East. Yeah. So there you go. So like that's how big this is, though. Right. That's why he calls it a pivotal game. And you can create whatever narrative. The media can run wild with the narratives. And look, anything's possible. Georgia limped against Vandy. And, spoiler alert, their best player is out. All right, don't get a little too hyped. There, I'm just right? saying, no, though, if you, you want to start, you, you can't drink that Kool-Aid if you lose South Carolina. No, There's no Kool-Aid to drink. And so, yes, this is good. It's very and good. And recruiting-wise, again, it, this is what we talked about with Kentucky. This The same result applies with South Carolina. You you buy yourself more time with, hey, we're a solid operation and we're moving towards victory and we're going to be better. You pick up two more wins in the back half of this. Hey, 7-5, not a bad result given the schedule with the youth of this team. You hopefully hold on to your recruiting class, and then you're maybe off and running. And again, a lot more things have to happen, but you you're at least headed in that direction. Where you lose this game, man, getting to six wins is really dicey. It could all fall apart uh, again with only twelve of these games. When you're at this, you know, kind of rebuild stage, as we've said, this is really an important moment. Significant, pivotal, huge win for all the reasons you mentioned. Two more weeks of free recruiting time, so to speak, where everyone's feeling good, Mm -hmm. vibes are high, deadlines early December. That's big. That gets you that much closer to the finish line there. Uh, just just the bye week practices, the the buy-in, the the players' belief they can beat Georgia, everything skyrockets. And that's why we thought this was such a big moment for this Florida team. And obviously, as we're going to talk about next week. This back half of the schedule is beyond brutal, especially given that teams we face are coming off buys. I mean, it is brutal. And so we'll see what this team is made of. But without this win, so many things feel different. And so this was just a pivotal moment. For yeah, Florida. if you're just checking the vibes here, the vibes are good. 
And Florida needed that. Florida needs that, right? Big time. You could see that smile on Billy's face. That was a lot of relief of like just stress and excitement and offense clicking and things he knew are going to, hey, you know, stick with me. I'm here. I mean, I, every every coach is going to have challenges, but, you know. And did Florida deserve to win this game? Maybe, maybe, maybe. not. But again, by hook or by crook, I'll yeah. take that win anyway because it all checks out the same in the win column absolutely huge huge and again hats off to billy too look we don't know who made the changes in any regard i don't even really care this is what we've billy has been advertised as a guy who is constantly learning and you know you can't this, this is not something Muschamp would have done no. we, we never came on a Muschamp podcast and thought oh my gosh i can't believe all the different things we're seeing it always retained that signature Muschamp feel so again hopefully this becomes a signature Billy feel. What if this is how our team feels on offense for the foreseeable future? I'm all in for it. I love it. There you go. All right. Just a little bit of news here. You know, some shout outs to Mertz and smack. They Mertz wins sec offensive player of the week. You would have, if you had odds to bet on that before the season started, you probably would have gotten good odds on that. And then trace Mack co sec team, sec special teams player of the week. So, well-deserved for both those guys. I love you. Hats off again to Mertz, a guy who we probably are not like singing his praises every single week because we did. We felt like this guy could get the job done as Florida needed to get it done. And for he's him. been better probably than we even closer to the top end of what we expected. Correct. Race. And I feel great for him uh, for sure. Just because I think, you know, a guy who was really talented probably thought, Hey, I got a big future starts off with a bang at Wisconsin and just things unravel on him. And then he becomes like just the, the, a curse word in the college football world for his own fans. And then Florida fans troll him and big moment from him. And obviously, you know, I think as Billy said, it's great to have a guy like him leading your program. He's right there. He's consistent week in and week out. He's doing the right things. He's a good leader. And hopefully he has more games like that one where he can make some plays at the end and, and lead Florida to victories. All right, week seven results. Here we go. Alan, you were a scintillating seven and two. Let's go. You're having a phenomenal season. You're at 41 and 33. Professional Print handicapper it. level there. I am not. I went six and three, and I am a more normal 34 and 40. So <laughs> if you want tips, contact Alan's betting tip line. Let's walk through what happened. Friday night, a game that Dion didn't want to play, was upset about the Pac 12 for scheduling, couldn't wait to leave that dreaded conference. Maybe those comments came back to bite him. Colorado was up 28 nothing at halftime. Wow. 29 nothing. sorry. 29 nothing. yeah. 29 nothing at halftime, only to go on to lose in double overtime, 46-43 as 12-point favorites. Your thoughts on this one? Uh, there's, I don't know if you guys have seen that little SNL sketch with Keenan Thompson playing Coach Prime, uh, but... I think a lot of people went to bed and he was joking like, yeah, I went to bed at halftime. I was surprised as any of you guys when I woke up the next morning. I I don't know how you let Stanford come back from that. That's kind of wild. It's a bad Stanford team that can't score. And I, I saw some, I haven't seen this on film myself, but I definitely saw some stuff going around that it seemed like Stanford ran maybe the same play versus the same corner like 15 or 16 times in that second half. And a receiver had no catches in the first half, had 13 in the second half. And Colorado seemingly never changed what they were doing sort of like they rise up to the occasion stop the guy but man blowing a 29 nothing lead that might dent most people we'll see if it dents colorado but for them that hurts because that is a very winnable game on their schedule that was when you get and you're like you know bull eligible perhaps in a huge turnaround now things could be dicey all right arkansas on the road versus number 11 alabama 19 and a half point dogs 
Uh, of course, you and I both, I mean, not me, you picked Arkansas. Me picked Alabama because I'm a madman thinking they'd turn the corner and fix stuff out. But Arkansas does what Arkansas does. Look, Florida's going to play them here in the future, Allen. This team can play with anyone on any given day if they so choose. And on this particular day, they were right there with Alabama. Yeah, I, I know that I picked Arkansas here because I thought that maybe would just keep it a little closer. I wasn't expecting them to keep it this close. I thought Alabama would figure it out a little bit more, but this Alabama team is still vulnerable. Oh, yeah. And again, the SEC, as we said, is not only is it sus, though, it's widely competitive. And so it's hard to know week in and week out. Number 25, Miami. Love this result. On the road versus UNC. UNC, three and a half point favorites. They win 41-31. Both you and I picked this one correct. Yeah, Drake May and that UNC offense is just tough to deal with. It's hard to match them point for point. And I will say that, like, again, I grew up a Miami Hurricane fan. I went to all their games. I love them. This post-NIL Miami is such a hateable team for what's happened with Florida and other stuff. So, yeah, I really find myself with just, like, disdain for their program, which is unfortunate for me personally because of how I grew up, but it is what it is. Iowa on the road versus Wisconsin. <laughs> That's a great score. How can you not laugh? You took Wisconsin. I don't know I took why. Iowa. Uh, 15 to 6. This is a good win for Iowa, by the way. Yeah. That's I mean, a good win. Luke Fickle, I think, is probably pulling his hair out as an offensively minded guy. Well, 15 6. I mean, Tanner Mordecai, the Wisconsin QB, does leave the game with an injury, but still. I mean, I don't know why I thought Wisconsin could be 10 points higher. I, I think I thought this would be maybe in reverse scoring, and then that maybe Wisconsin would just add a little bit more, but. I don't know. What a rock fight. A&M, you and I both picked them on the road against Tennessee. This was a close game all the way until the end. Tennessee wins 2013. Tennessee now, who a lot of people thought was maybe sus after losing to Florida, looks like they could be a quality football team. I think they're a quality team. They don't have the pizzazz of last year's team, no, obviously, no, but no, they're, no, they're a good no. team. But clearly, I think they're proven they're, they can win in a variety of ways. And obviously, they're overcoming Joe Milton. Right. Like we said, this same team without Joe Milton and an actual quarterback – put Mertz on there, put a guy who can distribute, it would be very dangerous. But Milton is, is I mean, a complete wild card. That's I wonder when back. they're going to, if they, maybe he's just not ready, but when they go to the kid that they paid all that money for, I mean, redshirting him doesn't really, if, if he is who you think he is, he's only staying three years regardless. You think at this point it can't be far. I mean, they could have a good season. Like they still have a lot that they could accomplish. Right. But you can't, you're not going to win anything with, Milton so no just, that's what I mean yeah no what I mean is like you could I think making that change is very justifiable uh, Auburn at LSU LSU favored by 11 you and I both took LSU knowing that Auburn really can't score no one can really stop LSU uh, for the most part 48-18 yeah frustrating for Auburn they just could not find a way to put points on the board I th- you know and stopping LSU is tough for anyone Missouri at the frauds of Kentucky Kentucky mm. favored by two and a half just give me all of that cheese uh, Missouri wins 38-21. Drinkowitz having a nice season. Yeah, they're they're a very solid team. Uh, they still have to play the tougher teams left on their schedule, but we'll see how that goes for them. Number 18, UCLA on the road versus Oregon State. You and I both pick an Oregon State, a place that's just really hard to win at. Mm-hmm. Oregon State wins 36-24. Yeah, this is a good win for them. Um, you see, we don't have this game in the picks, but Washington State, a similar program, loses to you know loses a game that they probably feel like they wanted back in yeah, Oregon State, really fun. Yeah, Washington State got hammered, obviously, at uh, Arizona, I believe, this week. USC on the road versus Notre Dame, and a result that I, I'm confident saying Yeesh. nobody saw coming. Not that Notre Dame couldn't win the game, but if anybody out there thought the score was going to be 48-20, to 20, 
please reveal yourself. I had no confidence in this. So we both pick USC, but I, I, UC had not been playing well, but the wheels hadn't come off like they had in this game. Major questions exist now for Caleb Lim's future, of course. No longer a Heisman candidate after that one. Notre Dame, after a really bizarre result for a Louisville team, that is, we're going to find out here in a second, took a significant beatdown L to a pit team. That's yeah. not great. And again, I want to say it. I'm going to keep saying it. It's college football. You just it, This is how it is, though. You got to embrace it and love it. That's why it's fun, is don't expect your team to win every single week or look awesome. It's football. You get to have highs and lows. The playoff with more teams will help this mentality, in my opinion, in the future. Oregon on the road to Washington, easily game of the week. Almost the same exact score Washington won by last year. They won 37-34 last year. They won 36-33 this year. I think this is awesome. I didn't get to watch any of this, but I've I've read about it and, and watched the highlights. And what a fun game. I wish I could have seen it. Um, a lot of people are killing uh, Oregon for going for it on fourth down there. Does that show up in the coaching corner? It does. All right, multiple we'll times. Not just one time, multiple times. So okay. we'll talk about what that looked like. Oregon, of course, the late lead in that game. Washington comes back. Yeah, these are lead back. Obviously, these teams are really evenly matched. And it, Again, just like the Florida-South Carolina result, I mean, you can get too high or too low. The win is important. You want it no matter what. But if you run this back 100 times, it's probably going to go like 50-50. And that's what's tough. Like you said, it's Washington. They're feeling like heroes right now. Everyone talks about Penix for Heisman. Everyone's fired up. And then Oregon, it's like you fix it on everything you did wrong. But if Oregon makes the field goal at the end and wins in overtime. Or they just then, pick up that first down. Right, either way. Like yeah. 100 things happen, then they win. And then they, you, know, you, minim- you, you have to be careful not to overly maximize or minimize your controllable factors. There's a truth somewhere in the middle. All right. Other a few results. Other results. Yeah. yeah, Utah beats Cal 34-14. It's, mean, like, it's a, great, yeah. a great win. Still no cam rising, and they're still finding ways to win. And they found ways to score points in this game. That's good for them. Oklahoma State over Kansas, 39-32. Oklahoma State, I had totally left for dead. They, they lost. They were dead. They got crushed by like South Alabama. They were dead. How'd this happen? I have no magic. idea. You kind of referenced this. Pitt over Louisville, 38-21. Not that Louisville will lose, but they just got kind of smacked around in this game. They're riding. Again, college players. I'm sure the coaches behind closed doors. These guys are riding so high. They become media darlings. Everyone talks about them, and then they just get hammered by a team. It's like, okay, great. Opportunity for us. We know that you're full of yourselves right now, but you're not actually that good yet. Yeah, Arizona, who had come close a couple times then, just unleashes on Washington State, 44-6. to This is kind of a... A wild score. Yeah, Florida grad Jed Fish out there at the helm at Arizona. And uh, it seems like Arizona's starting to get a little bit, you know, they're, they're they're not like good yet, but there's some. They're frisky. They're starting to maybe take a turn up. We'll see what happens out there uh, in the future. All right. The rest of the SEC roundup, UGA over Vandy, 37 to 20. Game was kind of mm-hmm. close for a while. But again, the big news there is that Bowers, the sensational all-world tight end, is out for four to six weeks with an ankle sprain he's getting surgery on. So they want him back, obviously, for an SEC title game. That's kind of the hope right at the end of the season, perhaps back for uh, you know a matchup with Bama in that game. But that, I think, Allen is going to ding some of their prospects, given that they've been limited. But either way, we will see. All right, Daytona Steve. In this spot would normally have the picks he made. Of course, he wasn't making picks because he was, you know, recovering uh, at a track somewhere where we saved him. He will be back. Stay tuned in a few minutes. We'll get to his picks for this upcoming week. All right, coaching corner time. A lot of good ones here. Here's here's a fun one. I like this one. This one's like outside the scope of normal stuff. Uh, but why is it that you can obviously throw to the end zone for four downs? You can try to run to the end zone for four downs. But if you kick a field goal, so you try for the uprights, let's say, and you miss, you don't get the ball to try again on the next down. 
I guess like kicking is final, right? You punt it, you don't get multiple punts, you don't get multiple field goal attempts. There's no rhyme or reason for it other than that's just what it is. I guess. Yeah, that's what the rule says is what the answer is. I thought for a second maybe it has to do with rugby, but if you go back into rugby even and you kick, you can like drop kick in the field of play. So you can run drop kick. It's a live ball. You can get it and get it back if you wanted. So uh, football's a little different in that regard. And the, the rule's been this way forever. So they must have decided when they moved it away from rugby that if you did this, it was more like a conversion try in rugby, which has always been you make it or you miss it, and that's it. It ends the play. And that's what they copied it after is my best guess. All right, Stanford down 10 at this time in the comeback in the fourth quarter. They're at the Colorado 16. They just got stopped on third down. It's fourth and seven. But Stanford's called for an illegal blow the waist block on the play. Dion elects to accept the penalty, which gives Stanford a third and 22 back at the Colorado 31. So you're moving back from the 16 to the 31. It's a 48-yard field goal. Stanford does not complete the pass. However, unfortunately, Travis Hunter is called for unnecessary roughness. Brutal penalty there. It then becomes first and 10 for Stanford, and then Stanford scores a touchdown. Do you like in general, of course, we have know the information in the past, but do you like this idea with Dion up at this point in time by 10 to make this move? Yeah, I think you push them back because making that field goal becomes way less viable for a college kicker. If you're in the NFL, you maybe don't accept it potentially, but that's that's definitely when you have that big of a penalty, like a 15-yard penalty kind of a thing, I think you it pushes them out of field goal range potentially so i think you do that yeah i think it's tough like stanford obviously was rolling momentum wise they were scoring on you they're moving the ball but this is also like seeing opportunities like we talked about are you playing from fear and survival or are you playing from thriving and trying to create the best opportunities for your team to win if you can get them to miss a field goal there you're up 10 you're in the fourth quarter you might just outright have enough to win the game and of course you're hoping if they do convert you can still stop them again they don't score but Looking back on it, it's like, we'll just let him kick the field goal. That seems like the right choice. But I think in that case, uh, that's third and 22. you got to live with your defense making a stop there. Uh, maybe give up eight yards. And, okay, it's still a chance they miss. So tricky, though. Not set in stone. Again, not set in stone there, I think. All right, fourth quarter, nine minutes to go in the Georgia game. Georgia's up 27-14. It's fourth and three on the 11-yard line. Fourth and three. Georgia's run the ball well in this game. As we know, Vanderbilt's defense versus the rush is terrible. They allow to take the field goal to go up 16, which violates, of course, the rule, the rule of three scores. Do you like this or don't like this? Fourth and three is, is far enough that I think it gives you pause. But I, I don't know. This one is a little 50-50 for me. Um, I think kicking a field goal does have some merit there when you're up that big and you're going up against Vanderbilt. Certainly getting points increases your expected value. It depends on how the game's been going. Uh, again, obviously, if I feel like I'm comfortable picking up that fourth and three, then roll on. Uh, I just think with Georgia and their defense, you, know, you can score a touchdown there and you go up and get a field goal there and you go up. You probably feel the same. They that's probably what, didn't think about it that much. That's what I mean. It's kind of a weird thing. Like emotion has a lot to do with these these moves. Like that's one reason why you want to put teams out for three scores. They might just break and quit. But I don't know that if you could feel goal there that Vanderbilt is like, and the defense is like, oh man, here they here they come. But right, it probably actually feels more of a momentum for Vanderbilt to like stop them there 
if you're worried about game kind of right and that's like what i'm thinking is it's weird like math wise yeah math wise go for three scores don't don't get me wrong here of course i'm 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 i love that i mean i want to be the king of the scores but i i do believe in the human element and momentum and it's like you know there maybe you just kick a boring three but your defense back out there see the game out which is largely what happened but yeah mathematically of course go for it is going to be the best possible scenario oregon down 22 18 here comes the oregon ones you ready yeah they're down 22 18 it's the end of the first half. They go for it on fourth and goal from the three for the literal last play of the first half. They also get the ball to start the second half. So they know they're getting the ball back. Fourth and three. Going to end the half, whether or not they get it or not. Do you like this decision, or would you kick a field goal? From the three, man, I don't know. I think I kicked the field goal there. Okay, from the Because one. you don't have a... Uh, Again, it's it's a little bit like, do I have a ET and left handed? Throw yeah, play? do you like your play? Is a big deal, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Uh, if I know, like, okay, I got him. Fourth and three is yep, same as fourth and one. Doesn't matter. We have this play call. Yep. Uh, but if I don't have that play there, I think I'd probably kick it. Yeah, if I love my play, I do it. If not, in all other circumstances, I kick it because I'm getting the ball to start the second half. Mm-hmm. It's a two for none opportunity. Those are rare. You want those. You score, you're down 22-21, you get the ball again, you get even a field goal, you're in the lead, right? So you're, you're flipping momentum around pretty nicely. Uh, I think if you score a touchdown here, you take the lead, get the ball in the second half, you don't score, you're still ahead by one score, get a field goal, you're still ahead by one score. So you can't win the game right there on that play, but you can certainly let them go in feeling amazing about themselves. The crowd hyped, everyone's fired up, right? I think the risk-reward of that play, not there unless you love your play given you get the ball back. All right. 3.30 left in the third quarter. Oregon is now down 29-18 instead of 29-21. So there you go. And they go for it again on fourth and three from the Washington eight, and they do not get it. I like this one more. I, I generally like the aggressiveness, especially when you're down late. Um, that uh, The touchdown does a lot more for you there. It's interesting. To me, this is the rule of scores here. If you get the field goal, you're down one score. So I'm kicking the field goal. Uh, two eleven left in the fourth. But quarter. with a Washington team that is putting points on you, well, yeah. But also at some point you need to keep game pressure on them. And I think if you score a touchdown, you're within one score. If you get a field goal, you're within one score. So I think that's the same game pressure. I know what you're saying is a bigger lead, but I I think playing, I think when you're playing the one score thing is what most people think of. How much are we up by one score? I think tends to enter into the thinking. Either way, that's not that's you know that's that's very preferential. This one though, this one's interesting, very interesting. Two eleven left in the fourth quarter. Oregon up 33-29. They go for it on fourth and three at the Washington 47 and don't get it. If they get this, they win the game. Yeah. That's why they're doing it. Do you like this? I do like it. I would have done it. And it's it's so ironic that all of these are four and three. I didn't realize they it's were crazy, four and right? Three. That's a bad distance. Fourth and two, you feel a lot better about than fourth and three. But the the result is high enough that it's worth the risk. Like if you don't end the game, I think you probably punt it. But Washington, again, I think Dan Lanning said this well. Like you're you're basically giving yardage there, right? That you punt it is like how much they've been slicing us up. So you have a chance to just straight up end it. I think you do that every time and you go to sleep good thinking about it. I love this one. We've talked about this a lot on Coaching Corner. It To me, it is almost always a layup to do this because you control your own destiny. And if you don't get it, they still have to go. 53 yards and score a touchdown this scenario is optimal to do that 
automatic 100% win with a conversion, which let's say you're at 40% to do. Also, a still excellent chance of them not scoring a touchdown on you. It's like a win-win. By punting, maybe you net out 25, maybe 25 yards there. Is 25 yards and a guaranteed shot of not being able to win right then worth it? No, no way. So I think that move is yeah, a Yeah, people slam. are criticizing that. Again, it's, it's all slam fourth dunk. and threes. Slam dunk there. But yes, there, I I love that they did it. Yeah. And especially with, you know, Penn explaining the way it was, like in a scenario where they have to be aggressive, he's going to pick up that yardage most likely anyway. Yeah, but regardless, I think the other ones you could debate, but I think that last one is the one that to me is like ironclad. That's the right decision in my opinion there. All right, Oregon uh, onto the, the Bills. One. So yeah. the Bills up 14-9, shockingly up 14-9 versus the hapless and hopeless Giants playing Tyrod Taylor. That's right. That was your Sunday night game. With a minute and 35 seconds left and a fourth and nine, it's either going to be kick a 53-yard field goal or go for this fourth and nine. They missed the field goal leaving the Giants with good field position. Ultimately, the Giants don't do much. They throw a Hail Mary that does not work. Do you know what yard line they were on? I yeah, they're the on. 53 yard, yeah. Yep, yep. They're on like the 38, roughly. 35, wherever they are. Yeah, I think I'd go for it here. Again, this is, you know, you know, that doesn't increase the score that much for them. This is tricky. Tyler Bass is a really good kicker. Makes a ton from 50 plus. And you go up by eight in that yeah. scenario so you don't lose you can't lose the game at all mm-hmm. and you go to overtime so there yeah is, that's probably that's probably actually the better thing to do because there is math there if you can't lose for sure you're increasing your ev i think in that situation in the nfl you know a guy like tyler bass is probably you know he's he's probably 60 percent or so from 53 yards would you punt, what do you think about punting it there though well that's that's what i'm that's what i'm thinking so it's like to me punting it again is the worst of all scenarios yeah. so i'm either going for it or punting it going for it in the nfl fourth and nine you're probably like 32 or three i'm making up a number somewhere i think you're like one and three shot if you get it you win the game mm-hmm. take the field goal you're probably closer to two or three shot and you're really almost certainly winning the game yeah you know what i so i take it back I'm gonna, i think i like that scenario better where i'm where i'm kicking the field goal yeah and again same scenario because they're up five here this makes the the field goal scenario better because again, they have to score a touchdown, just like the Oregon game. They got to score a touchdown. They still have to go half the field to score a touchdown on you. Uh, obviously, you know, nuanced one. I like that one though. That one you could make several arguments there because that becomes very finessey. All right, Alan, hit us up with some historical patrons here. All right, Thomas Nassif. A double dip on this. There you go. Show. Let's go, Thomas. Rob Monda, Mister Two Bits, Sydney Singleton, Emil Ellis, Zach Bram, Ryan Gallant, Frank Marcellisi, Tyler Barn. Barnett, Ben Mixon, Nicholas Isaac, Jesse Lucio, Abraham Hamza, Ali Perry, Perry Anita Bajay. <laughs> I love that one gets read every time. Great work. Great work. <laughs> you got me, got me again. It's Good job. great every year. It's, really, it's a pastime <laughs> at this point. All right. David Sugar, Tyrone Watson, Cooper Anderson, Mara Nagler, Connor Kekriatis. Now I'm like, now you're, quite, now you're reading all of them before you here. read them, yeah. Andrew Rutledge, Matt McDuffie, what's up, Matt? Kristen Moody, Michael Guju, Will Hartley, Grahambo, Patrick Fox. Jamie Galliano. It's great for me to say that. You get to say that every week. Brent Pope, Ryan Howell, Anthony Orozco, Nathan Jewell, Steve Cherms, Mark Jackson, Tim Honderick. 
James Truitt. There's Let's a go, guys, and James Truitt. Man, what a run that was, huh? Between those three guys. Thomas Hart, Eric UF, Brad Wilson, Chris Selbo, Todd Smith, Chris Suarez, Gus O'Leary, uh, Ducey Poppy, Ducey Poppy. <laughs> Love that every time. Bill Smoke, Justin Holder, Sang Wang, uh, Laura Stewart, Lowell Stu, Matt Galloway, Adam White, Adam, Chris Zanier, Charles Gear, uh, Ken Phelps, Tony Gamichia. Gamichia. I like that. Uh, Don Bergeron and Barry Green. There it is. Straight into the live read. All right. As Gator fans, we all appreciate great offense, which occurred against South Carolina. We love offense here. It's our brand at Florida. No matter how we're generating plays, we generally prefer, I'm adding this. He didn't put this in here. I'm adding this. We generally prefer that they come in an exciting way, typically through the air. Okay, that's me saying that. But when building a custom home for you and your family, you definitely want an experienced builder who can create a dynamic plan and then execute the plan. That is definitely true. Corey Amira with Amira Custom Homes has that kind of experience building high-quality custom homes in Alachua County. He's a second-generation contractor, and he spent his entire life working in construction, and he has the experience to help you execute the right game plan for your family's custom home. If you are in the market for a home and you are thinking about building a custom home, check out some of his previous custom home builds at amiracustomhomes.com. That's A-M-I-R-A customhomes.com. All right, Corey. Thanks for launching us into our bi-week prep, Alan. Let's get you ready for the bye week. Yeah, enjoy enjoy your week off, everybody. Florida will still be five and two after this week. Amen. And yeah, we're gonna get, we'll get you ready for the cocktail party next week. Don't worry about that. Yeah, we'll be loaded up. We still have some stuff left for you here, though. We have a week yeah. eight slate. There's lots of football you can watch this weekend. And Alan's yeah, some good ones. Us. Alan's gonna walk us through that. And uh, no, no, sadly, no big homie culture corner this week, and, mm. and none of the two bits in a tail this week either. So we'll pause on that one. Okay, uh, but you know, use the rest wisely. All right. First off, UCF at number five, Oklahoma, who's favored by nineteen. You got to think that Oklahoma is ready to like turn on the booster jets and start rolling people. And UCF, this is what you get. UCF, welcome to the real world of playing real teams each week. Enjoy it. I'm going to take Oklahoma. I will join you with that. I think UCF is not ready to play with them on that level. This Oklahoma team is rolling right now. Okay, South Carolina. At number 20, Missouri, who's favored by seven and a half. They had to put the hook on there, didn't they? Mm. They had to do it. I hate it. I hate it. Look, this is, this feels like you in my head with Columbia being a hard place to win. And I'm going to take Missouri. Okay, I'm going to take South Carolina. I think, I think that's smart. I think these te- te- teams are kind of, not equal, but if I would love to do a deep dive on like what their matchups are. Yeah. Oh, I think that's true. I think it's it's South Carolina could definitely win this game. So since I think they can win it, I'm going to take the points. Okay. I All like right. That. Now they might not. No, I like. I mean, we'll I, I was leaning South Carolina, and I overruled myself because I'm like, you know what? It's Columbia. All right. Number thirteen, Ole Miss at Auburn, who's favored by six and a half. That's not right. That's wrong. Old Miss is favored by six and a half. Yeah, that's that's what it is. Yeah, yeah. If Auburn's favored by six and a half, <laughs> I am backing the Brinks up to an absurd level. Old Miss, I think, just has too much offense. Again, Auburn plays really well at home. They're like Florida. Terrible road team. Difficult at home. I'm still taking Old Miss. Uh yeah. I'll I'll join you on that. I mean, I don't Auburn's weird, but that's that's still a good line, I think. So 
that's weird. <laughs> Sorry, I didn't think that's my fault with the spread. Yeah, that was not, not B right on this one. That's actually uh, Alan Williams' signature move there. Nice All right. work. Okay, number 17 at number four. Excuse me, number 17, Duke at number four, FSU. I was excited to read that. Who's served by 14. Can Duke get back in there? Keep it close? Yeah, yeah, give me the Blue Devils. All right, I'll join you there. I think they there's a good chance they keep it inside that number. I would not be surprised, though, if FSU wins by more than that, but I'll, I'll take the Blue Devils. Number 16, Utah at number 10, USC, who's favored by six and a half. At this point in time, I have to take Utah just because really? they're they're a complete football team. And USC, I mean, that, oh, man, that's just a bad look coming off Notre Dame. I don't know what to make of them. And I know Utah's going to give them all they can handle. So do they, do they are they up for the challenge? Utah's defense is legit. I think I'll take USC. I, I might just hate myself for that at the end of that but I, I just I don't know well this is the Notre Dame game right can they do what Notre Dame did to them not offensively no different style game okay I got this game both these teams are doing way better than expected at this point West Virginia um, this is Oklahoma State at West Virginia who's favored by three and a half West Virginia was basically on the hottest Neil Brown's on the hottest seat possible they've been Played pretty well, and they should have probably won the last game they played. Oklahoma State resurrected. What do you think? I'm going to take the resurrected Oklahoma State. Okay. I have no idea. I'm interested in this result, but I have no idea. Total Jekyll and Hyde here. Since it's three and a half, I'll take Oklahoma State as well. Nice. I'm all over the road teams right now. That seems bad. All right. (laughs) Uh, Another pair of four and two teams here. TCU at Kansas State, who's favored by six and a half. You know, let's keep this theme going. Give me TCU, the road team. Nah, I'm going to take Kansas State in this one. Under seven there. All right, man. I'm looking forward to seeing what happens in this one. Clemson favored by four at Miami. Neither teams is ranked, and I got this towards the end. Road team again. I'm taking Clemson. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't trust Miami. I don't really trust Clemson either, but I less trust Miami. All right. Number 19, Washington State. At number eight, Oregon, who's favored by 20. I Washington State just got blown out. They didn't. The thing about Washington State is they're air raid heavy. And look, I love air raid. I think, again, it's, it should be a staple piece of everyone's offense. I think on offense, you want to be multiple. We don't often get to talk about, like, what would I do if I did all my own offensive stuff? Well, I'd be multiple. I'd have I'd have features from lots of different offenses in there, much like I'd be on defense. But I think air raid would be a component I would use. But they're like largely all air raid, which you can get results like that. And if you've ever followed Mike Leach, it often doesn't mean anything. It doesn't mean that like the next game you also get shut down. You could put up 50. I just haven't seen the film of it. So I don't really know if this is something where Oregon's going to look at that and think, oh yeah, we got that covered. But I mean, 20 feels like a lot in this kind of rivalry game. And what's Oregon's state of mind right now? Chasing down Washington. If Washington doesn't lose, they control their own destiny. I don't know. I don't know what to do here, but I'm going to take a home Oregon team that I, I think fancies himself as not being out of the playoff picture yet. So they're going to be motivated to get a big win. I think I'm going to join you there. I have, I would put assign zero confidence to this pick. Yeah, I, I would not I like that at all. I'm, I'm doing poor this year anyway, but I wouldn't pick that one. All right. Number 19 at Tennessee at number 11, Alabama, who's favored by nine. Do you, I have this question mark there after squeaking out one against Arkansas? What do you think? This feels like a better matchup to me for Alabama because uh-huh. Tennessee is too pedestrian on offense. Tennessee can be beaten on defense. They played much better after Florida played against them in general. They've been holding teams to a respectable amount. A&M, 
solid offense for the most part, held them in check. This, though, feels like a Tennessee team that this is not the matchup that they want to see. I think Nick Saban is out to prove that he's not an outdated or, you know, can't handle kind of the east-west splits of Tennessee, which they abused him last year with. So I'm taking Bama on this number. Mm, Bama's burned me a lot this year. They have, and I'm looking forward to this game a lot. Like, this game holds high interest for me. I'll go Bama here, and again, I don't like it. Okay, I'm going to see if you're believing the hype. Are you ready? Number six, Penn State at number three, Ohio State, who's favored by four and a half. Are you buying any Penn State stock here? No, I don't believe in Penn State at all. But Ohio State also is sus in their own regard. So the question is, do I do I believe in them on the road to get in four and a half? Maybe, but I think historically speaking, this is sort of like a similar style playing a similar style, but one style I think is just more athletic and maybe better. So I'm going to go Ohio State. Uh, if there's an under here, I'd probably pick it. Both these teams have been playing well on defense. Yeah, that's true. Uh, man, this is fun. Uh, good job for the Big Ten producing this matchup. Uh, I'll go Penn State here. I, that's just a pure gut pick. I don't have a good feeling on this game either. Uh, so if you're tracking Allen's picks, I think I've said I don't feel good about this game like seven times. So uh, tread lightly there. So all in all, I give this slate for the bye weekend like a five out of ten. Okay, but there's some interesting games. So I'd, it's like, I'd say it's a little higher than that. It's got upside. Well, I mean, you don't have like a mark. Like you have Penn State, Ohio State, but then yeah, you know, I think I just am interested in Clemson beating Miami more Miami than most too. people. And then Miami you know, it, I it's love really the Tennessee comes down matchup. Comes down to whether Duke can make it a game. If they make it a game, then there becomes way more. Interesting. Well, that's a good point. That's a good point. That's a good point. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm hyped about Tennessee Alabama. That's the one I'm probably most excited about watching because of the styles. But Penn State Ohio State style wise has not moved the needle for me per se. That's like the marquee one. Anyway, it's a good week though. It's a good week. All right, Daytona Steve, he's back. Whoa. He reloaded his funds at two hundred dollars. He wanted everyone to know that he was able to do that by saving up the money he spends on his SIGs over the course of a couple of days. So I'm not saying we had a successful intervention in getting him off the SIGs, but at least enough to be able to throw some money up to do betting, which is clearly a more healthy <laughs> that, Yeah, you know, for Daytona Steve, it's his life. For Daytona blood. Steve. All right, week eight bets. Here we go. What's he coming up with? He's got Iowa on the road. Well, maybe not on the road, but yeah, I think on the road against Minnesota. 30 bucks on the money line. Uh, at minus 110, not the money line, sorry. Minus 110 for the five-point spread. So he's got five points Iowa favorite versus Minnesota. That seems very ballsy, Daytona Steve. And then he's got Missouri, seven-point favorite versus South Carolina. That also seems very ballsy. Well, he doesn't have the hook there, you know? No, but of all the games you could pick out there in the college football land, these are the two he picks. I don't know. That's questionable. We'll see. We'll see. That's questionable. All right. Parlay. Here we go. Now we're now we're, now we're in Five dollar parlay. Now we're back to the traditional Daytona Steve. Tennessee plus nine at Bama. Arkansas minus six and a half versus Mississippi State. Oregon minus twenty versus Washington State. He's a madman. Ole Miss six and a half at Auburn. Iowa minus five again in, in Minnesota and Missouri. So you know it's interesting that he doubles down like this. Yeah, well you have to if you're Daytona Steve. That's a Daytona Steve move. Is don't forget about hedging your bet of any kind. Go right back to Missouri and Iowa and the same bets you had before. You know, it's gonna be a great weekend or not. And the one dollar Sunday NFL parlay for as long as I've known Daytona Steve, this is the one he wants more than anything. You are going to bet this in order to win fifteen hundred dollars. <laughs> 
if you bet you need $1. These teams to cover the spread with your $1 lottery ticket Bills, Bucks, Raiders, <laughs> Giants, Seahawks, Rams, Vikings. All covering the spread. Moneyline, Lions, and the Broncos. Under Browns Colts game, over Dolphins Eagles game. That will net you $1,500. Congrats to all you who bet this in advance. So hope you have that scratch off <laughs> lottery ticket. All right, Alan, any other items you want to discuss on this pod? I don't know. I don't think so. I'm looking forward to the bye week and kind of taking a little weekend off and enjoying the broader world. Right? It kind of feels that way. It's like, what do you do if your team's not playing on Saturday? You have extra time. At least it used to be that way. With the podcast now, I think it's still tons of football consumption. But as always, we hope you enjoyed being with us as much as we enjoyed being with you. And we look forward to coming back next week to set up for you the world's largest outdoor cocktail party i don't care what they call it now that's what we're going to call it and also what could be a game the national media runs with setting up florida controlling its own destiny an undefeated georgia team missing their best player all the things you want to believe could happen make a wish it might come true but it's going to be a huge week here for the florida football program and we look forward to giving you all of the analysis that you crave and desire we will be with you then enjoy the week off go gators For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger, For the ones who get it done.